Hello and welcome to the third episode of the 7th Circle of Film podcast. I'm your host, Kieran, and as always, joining me is Steph. Hello. How you doing, man? I'm good, mate. You? Yeah, not bad. Not bad. Getting by. Another lockdown proposed in, so another batch of uh, films to get through bit by bit. Why are we doing this? So obviously, today we've got Dead Snow, Dead Snow 2, two films we both actually enjoy, which is a change. Yeah. If you're watching this to watch us both steadily fall into madness and desperation to find something good, uh, you're going to be disappointed. Sorry. These are two films we actually enjoy. It's like a little Christmas miracle. Yeah, uh, we we figured for Christmas, why not watch something we actually enjoy? I'm just terrified that I'm not going to want to watch these films ever again because those are listening. Obviously, you've got about four, three hours of listening about Hostel, Hills of Eyes. I'm sure you don't want to do anything with these. We've got to watch them, do this talking, and then edit. I don't want anything to fucking do with Hills of Eyes or Hostel for years. Even if they were good, even if they were masterpieces, I don't want to go in anywhere near them. I'm fucking terrified that's going to happen with Dead Snow. But here we go anyway. We are going to be spoiling this, obviously. So uh, if you want to watch these films, and I highly suggest you do, leave, come back to it once you've watched them. Yeah, this is something you need to see with fresh eyes. It's pretty damn unique, pretty damn funny, and just really well made. So jumping into standard, going through the cast and director and stuff, it's Norwegian film and made by a group, seemingly friends, uh, the director, oh god, really hate some of these names, but Tommy Wicola, who known for Hansel and Gretel Witch Hunters, a film with Jeremy Renner and Rachel Wise about 2013, crappy action, schlock, standard Hollywood stuff. It's a shame, but what are you going to do? And also wrote and directed a film called Kill Bull Joe, which I only learned about doing this which is a knockoff of Kill Bill, the Norwegian version, which is supposed to mock uh, Sami culture, some subset of Norwegians, which is one of the best films I've seen all year, one of the best independent films I've seen all year. Yeah, I learnt about this yesterday, so I've got a film I need to watch now. Writers, again, you've got Tommy Riloka and Stig Frode Henriksen. Pretty sure I nailed that one. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to leave you to those uh, name pronunciations. God help me. Yeah. Also wrote and directed Kill Bull Joe and acted as Roy in Dead Snow. Uh, both of them apparently also wrote a chunk of the music performed by a Norwegian band called the LA Laplanders who sound nothing like anything on the soundtrack. They've got one song on Spotify which is kind of rap stuff. But yeah, acting wise... There's Vega Hall as Martin, who in Kill Bull Joe 2 and a film called Mongoland, another Norwegian flick, as I said, Stigfrode Henriksen. Charlotte Frogner as Hannah, who was in a TV show, I presume Norwegian, called Havla. Havla, yeah, I'm going to go with that. And then, fucking hell, Orjan Gamst as Oberst Herzog the Nazi commander, who, because apparently the Norwegian actors have a smaller gene pool to pick from than the cannibal family in The Hills Have Eyes, was also in Kill Bull Joe 1 and 2 as a kind of Norwegian Mr. Miyagi. Did a good job in that. Did a good job in this. Yeah. 
I'll, I'll say that he did a very good job in this, at least. I haven't watched the other one yet. Certainly in the second film, where he got a bit more time to shine. Yeah. Well, no, but he does really do that well. Uh, and I mentioned it with Hills of Eyes, mention it with any film that comes under about a million. It's important to have a look at the budget, because you've got to give a few leeways here and there in the special effects. Not all of them. And, of course, I'll point them out when they come up. Because, yeah, some people are a bit more annoyed than that than I can be. But budget of 800,000, which is pretty modest in the state. I mean, especially as uh, Hansel and Gretel got a budget of 50 million. Now, that's a sad state of affairs in Hollywood. So, the opening to this, uh, I think, is absolutely great. There's a few ways to open horror films. It really depends on what kind of atmosphere you want to set up, what tone you want to set up. Uh, And there's, there's stuff like The Cube, where you show the environment which is the biggest selling point of that and you have the early tone set with the confusing area the industrial sounds it's great atmosphere or the shining certainly which this reminded me a lot of the driving up through the mountains and the hills yeah but the opening of this it's a classic kind of setting up the danger setting up the threat with the early kill the kill of the character that will be set up as a family member or person who's gone missing later on Uh, and it's got a really goofy little orchestral piece that it plays over the entire thing is this woman who turns out to be Sarah, the girlfriend of uh, one of the characters, is chased around by one of the Nazis to Hall of the Mountain King, which is it's one of those orchestral pieces you might not know by name, but you definitely know it if you hear it. Yeah, you, you've heard of this song before. When I first watched this film, it confused me as why they were going after her. You find out later on why. Yeah, I presume she stole the gold or someone stole the gold and they're on yeah. their territory. Yeah, basically it's it's pointed out that obviously she gets killed and the group turn up at the cabin. They're like, okay, she's not here. They're saying that she'll either be here later tonight or tomorrow. But basically she's already got there, put a bag down. I don't know why she left a bag outside, but she's basically gone in and possibly seen this gold pile and taken a piece and sodded off with it. Yeah, it's kind of um, parts of the Caribbean-esque, chasing a Spanish or, in this case, Norwegian gold hoard. Yeah, I'll point out the problem I have with the gold hoard a bit later, but um, yeah, it, basically it opens up and she's being chased and she gets, well, it, she, they make it seem like she's gotten away from them, as they do in horror, and there's a jump scare, she runs away again. She's cornered by a very thin tree. And then she's stabbed to death. She didn't look that big. A stiff wind could take her on. Yeah, that's yeah, that's fair. I don't mind a little jump scare at the start. It gets you into the uh, the feel for it, and it gives you just a kind of quick glimpse of the monster of the film. I think any longer yeah. you're going to ruin the surprise. A quick little jump scare, yeah, it's fine. I get some little taster, little starter. It's not overtly like, oh, these are Nazi zombies. It, it it kind of jumps at you and it's like, okay, that just looks like a a zombie that's been here for a while. Okay, fair enough. Yeah, I do love the zombie design for this. You get I do, yeah. Little differences, little personalised things that make them slightly more varied than your standard zombie romp. Yeah, uh, each zombie has their own story sort of thing. <laughs> especially in the second one. Uh, the first one, you get 
different clothing that's very distinct. We get the odd little different patch of skin, the odd different bit of blood that's drooling down, or different way of acting. It's quite nice to go away from that uniformity. I kind of found them like a half mix between the Day of the Dead zombies in the classic George Romero and like Davros from Doctor Who. Yeah, they did have like a Davros feel, except none of them had a giant glowing orb in the centre of his head. It did look like uh, rotten prunes, more that yeah. side of things. They looked convincingly dead. So after the little opening sequence, we get to meet our main characters. Uh, they drive through this huge, really beautiful Norwegian mountain wilderness. Yeah, it's kind of a mix between The Shining, as I said, that whole opening sequence where you shift along the mountainside and a standard kind of cabin in the woods romp where, you know, you see them driving up in the car. You get to know them a little, banter back and forth. Uh, the odd little prop here and there is really nice. I noticed of the lot, T-shirts are a big one through this, like the film that has a brain dead T-shirt on for a lot of it. And Martin... Uh, at the start is reading a little accident and emergency book because you know he's trained to be a doctor and he's a bit of an arrogant dick yeah yeah i i did that did puzzle me in this uh i was like okay yeah he's a doctor that's fine that guy's a film nerd fine that guy's an extreme sports guy fine and apparently that guy's a horn dog but whatever and then it's later found well it's literally in the same scene they're like oh it's funny you'd being a doctor and you're scared of blood don't get me wrong there's probably someone out there that is a doctor and he's scared of blood i guess you want to conquer your fear but there's in the film it's barely touched on if you're if anything like there's a small moment in the cabin where uh, his girlfriend cuts herself and then after that he's like yep yeah, fine with blood apparently it's because the writer's best friend is a guy called martin who's scared of blood and they were pretty much just writing what they knew. Oh right, okay. Oh that okay, that makes sense. If I was a dick and I was a film like a director, I'd be like, yeah, I'm going to take the piss out of my mate in this film. Yeah, beyond these odd like little character traits, each of the people are given distinct looks to differentiate them. Uh, later on, when they're wearing a you know, big ski jacket, and they're a lot harder to see, they're given different coloured. Uh, outfits like fucking Power Rangers. There's a pink one, there's a blue one, there's a red one. <laughs> yeah, one's wearing a stupid fucking hat. One looks like a fucking Hanson brother from that Umbop song. Yeah, that's the extreme sports guy. They've got but... a note down there as douchebag extreme. Yeah, I, I do want to point out, like, um, in when they're on the drive up there, the, the, obviously the guys are like, ha ha, you're scared of blood, you're a doctor, you're an idiot, blah blah blah. And then it skips to the women's car and are like, all right, so I'm going to fuck this guy. You're going to fuck that guy. And literally, I've never heard, maybe it's because they're just talking to girls and I'm not a woman, but I've never heard this kind of conversation from another woman to a group of women. Yeah, the uh, pervert that makes all the sex jokes. Yeah, they they go, right, you're going to have sex with the pervert that uh, makes all the jokes. And then instantly when she gets out of the car she's like nah i'm not i'm gonna fuck the film nerd not even five minutes have passed since this conversation and she's like there flirting with the film nerd uh, on the walk up to uh the cabin well i mean she knew a couple of obscure films that's uh that's all you need right um to be fair if any woman mentioned evil dead to me and she was like haha i get that reference i'm like 
I'm going to put a ring on it. I mean, I'm not talking like me to woman, but if all I fucking need to do is start mentioning obscure horror films, Jesus, I've been dating wrong. I just need to run out in the street with a little megaphone and start shouting about various <laughs> 80s slashers. As we go on, the group leaves the car behind. Presume it just hits a trail, the cars can't go up it, road ends, you need to stay behind, which is a pretty nice uh, way, actually, of kind of removing the escape option. You, you do need to do at least. I'm not that bothered if they don't mention cell phones, I'll just assume. They don't work. I, th- I think they actually do. They, they're they like, oh, we don't have any cell service today. Yeah, we lost it like half an hour ago. Yeah, they do it more organically than most do. They say, oh, can we phone someone? No, I've lost signal 30 minutes ago. And it's understandable, given that it's in the fuck-off middle of Norway. Either way, let's escape cell phones out of the picture for later. To kind of get through that, they they park up and be like, okay, if you walk about an hour that way, you'll get to the cabin. I'm going to go ahead on my extreme snowmobile and do, like, jumps and shit. I'll get there before you guys. I'll set everything up. I'll put fire in. It'll be sweet for when you get here. And everyone's like, sweet. Then they just walk off. Uh, I think one guy starts singing. Yeah, uh, Erland. Yeah, Erland, the uh, uh, film buff. After this, it kind of follows the same beats and steps you'd expect from a film like this, where nothing really happens for the first 20 minutes. It's a build-up, trying to get to know the characters. Uh, There's a few points here and there. But yeah, there's a snowball fight, there's kind of snow-based water skiing thing, where they go on a little um, ring, which I fucking want to do. Yeah, they've got like a donut, they, they... They sit in it and the, the snowmobile goes around. And to be fair, it looks like fucking fun. I'd, I'd do that shit. And then, yeah, night falls. They start playing Twister. Martin tries to kill his girlfriend. Yeah. I, they start talking about anesthetics and stuff. And then he proceeds to sit on her hands so she can't fight back. Like, kneel on her hands and then smother her with a pillow. And he's like, ha 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 ha, this is fun. And then... Obviously, as you would when someone tries to kill you, panics, she panics, and basically, like, I don't understand. She picks up a spoon and hits him in the forehead with it repeatedly. Yeah, everyone else turns around hearing the commotion and quite rightly says, get the fuck off her. Yeah, you fucking psychopath. I understand why you want to become a duck. Do you want to cover up your fucking victims? That's what it is. So that happens, and she hits him with the spoon. I think she was just making tea, so... That makes sense, I guess, but I don't know why you'd pick up a spoon. I know we mentioned this before we started. Both reckoned it was a kind of uh, script-based, not necessity, because there's a much better way of doing this, but an attempt to write in the fact that she has claustrophobia, because she mentions that after. As uh, don't you know I have claustrophobia? Like, you'd fucking react any other way if someone was smothering you, regardless of if you have claustrophobia or not. You you've spent five minutes talking about which dude they're, they're, that they're gonna bang. In that whole thing, she could have been like sitting in the car, mind you, in a very cramped car. She could have been like, you know, I, I'm hoping to get out of this car very quickly because I'm claustrophobic. Literally, just bring it up in a conversation like, oh, I'm getting tired of this car ride. Let's hurry it up, sort of thing. But they're like, nah, we're gonna smother you with a pillow and then you can bring it up. If you can bring up haemophobia, then you can bring up claustrophobia, surely. <laughs> yeah, yeah they're, they're all playing Twister and they're all 
laughing and joking, talking, uh, drinking and all that stuff. Obviously, film buff is popping off film quotes and genuinely don't know what to say about him. I don't, I can't figure out if he was annoying or if he was like, hey, he mentioned Evil, Evil Dead, so he's cool. I, I genuinely think... can't figure it out. No, he was irritating, but he was relatively irritating. He's that one guy <laughs> that only knows one thing really well that can't get into a conversation if it's not surrounding that one topic that everyone knows and no one really wants to talk to. I mean, the the guy who watches nothing but anime or the guy who plays nothing but games and can't do anything outside of that sphere of reference. It says a lot when we're talking on a film horror podcast and we're talking about a dude that talks too much about film. (laughs) Yeah, I can see the irony. I was trying to sidestep it. Trying to leave it in the corner. Pretend I'm not there. (laughs) I just wanted that cannon blast to go off in our faces. It's fine. Moving on as fast as possible, uh, it yeah, builds up the film. It hits again the standard beat after the whole kind of getting to know the characters part ends. Yeah, ends with another classic beat of a person, I think it was Liv, going out to the outhouse. So there's a cabin, big kind of wooden thing with I presume a few rooms and a big living room, and then an outhouse about like 40 feet away. If that, yeah. Yeah, yeah, so basically, obviously, they go out to the outhouse, they do their business, but they hear rustling, and they see, like, shapes moving, so obviously they go back, run back inside, tell everyone, hey, there's someone out there. The horn dog, I don't know if I've got his name yet, Roy, there you go, he goes out there, and he's like, yeah, I don't see anything, they take a good look around, and uh, as he turns around to see it, to everyone at the front door. Yeah, don't see anything. Starts to walk back in. And another attempted jump scare with an, uh, a guy standing behind him. Yeah, a guy that everyone knows. A cliche of horror films. Though, one I don't really mind. He's the old exposition Yeah, expositor. I do want to say he is the biggest fucking dickhead. Oh god, yeah. He's a complete utter <laughs> cunt. Like, basically... He comes inside and they're like, ah, oh, do you want a cup of coffee? And he's like, yeah, yeah, please. And he's like, yeah, who made this coffee? Like, uh, Hannah, the, the doctor's girlfriend, puts her hand up. She's like, do you like it? And he's like, nah, it's shit. And then grabs a beer without anyone saying anything, pops it open and starts drinking that instead. Them offering him a coffee. It's him coming in and saying, can I have a coffee? Yeah. What yeah. an asshole. And I'm like, you're a fucking dick. Like, you've You've drank their coffee, said it's shit. Even in polite company, it, like even in the worst company, you'd be like, not really, but like, eh, I'm not much of a fan of coffee anyway, so it's fine. But he was like, nah, it's shit. And then picks up a beer and drinks that, and it's like, so anyway, you fucking kids are going to get murdered at some point. <laughs> um, you know, there's this old story about a fucking zombie platoon by a going by the name of Herzog, fucking blah, blah, blah. Left-hander Hitler, or whatever. And I'm like, why the fuck haven't these kids, these very outspoken ad, like, teenagers, if, like, or or 20-year-old people, not just gone, you know what, get the fuck out? We find out some of them are in the 30s. Oh, wow. Yeah. 
in the second film when you see the deaths. I think it was... Oh, shit, uh, yeah. Did, did it Chris? She was 31, and a couple of the others kind of pushing on that. You know, with 20-year-olds, with new students, I could see them being intimidated enough. I mean, in that room, you could cut the tension with a fucking knife. You could see that they didn't want to be there. And a guy, you know, in his 50s, 60s, comes in with a douchebag attitude, sits down on your couch, takes your shit, and doesn't give a damn. Yeah, I could see students being intimidated by that. I can't see people in their 30s. Christ, like, have some dignity. One of them's like, yeah, I've had some military training. The, uh, the V-guard, the um, extreme sports guy, he was like, yeah, you ever been through military training? And then if you're militarily trained, uh, fair enough, you probably put up with a lot more bullshit than this guy can give, so it's fine. But literally, like, as the dude, old guy's walking out, they're like, so yeah, you guys be careful. Roy, obviously, being a smart ass, is like, I think we've got it covered. We're, we're training to be doctors. I, I wouldn't worry. And then old guy starts strangling him. And I'm like, okay, at this point, this dude's taking the piss. It grabs him by the neck, Undertaker-style, ready to fucking choke slam him. If someone starts grabbing one of my friends by the fr- fucking throat, I'm going to be like, dude, you want to get the fuck out or I fucking throw you out. Yeah, if you push a British person past the stage of passively aggressively undermining someone, you know you've gone <laughs> too far. Uh, to give a quick basic outline, he tells them the story of Herzog. I know you went through a little summary, but just to put it clearly, so Herzog and his men, World War Two, pretty shit to the locals of a town in the area. It was a harbour that had ships to go between Norway and England. Germans, yeah, treat them like shit. And then when they found out they were losing, the Russians encroaching in, they stole all the valuables from the town they were stationed in. The town of 3,000 people got pissed off after three years of them being treated like shit and attacked soldiers with spades and sh- uh, shovels and axes and whatever, you know, can crack a skull in. They won, there's 3,000 of them. And Herzog fled with a few of his men into the mountains, taking the valuables with him where you know, he presumably died in the snow and was preserved. Then yeah. for one reason or another, it's never said, which, fine by me, he becomes a zombie and lives on to haunt the rest of the Norwegians. They were probably allies, I don't know. I'm not much of a history buff, so I don't remember. New Zealand was with Germany or against it, I don't know. Norway. But there we go, Norway. I'm not even a good geography buff. Yeah, you're off by, what, like 6,000 miles? I, I, it was kind of like the rest of Scandinavia. There's a bit of history between the Russians and the Germans, and it was more an annex than an actual alliance. There was a lot of um, resistance within yeah. that area. It's a tumultuous land that quite an interesting history back and forth. But certainly, you know, you had shitty pockets either way of of battalions that go in and mess and screw with the local population. Yeah. And yeah, if you take it as kind of an individual case of just one battalion being dickheads to this 3,000 people town, then it, it works fine in history. You don't have to really look at it beyond that. And then, obviously, they're attacked by night by the 3,000 people with the pickaxes and shovels and all that, um, and fled into the mountains where they supposedly froze to death yeah you can presume 
I froze to death at some point, and then something supernatural happened, of which uh, I don't need explaining. I'll just take something, and Satan came up and decided the world needed something a bit more horrible, and shoved that in. Fine. Yeah. Frankenstein got lost and decided to do some shit with Nazis, uh, and then we get to the point that we're at. So, after the complete arsehole ups and leaves at what must be fairly late at night. Yeah, it's fairly late, and he's like, yeah, thanks for the shitty cafe, bye. Leaves, which at this point, I think everyone wants him to do that anyway. It's surprising he wasn't kicked out in his ass at this point. Yeah, and then it's a short scene of him in his tent, and oh, thankfully... The- I fucking loved. It was really well shot. I did like this myself. It's the obvious thing of, okay, he's in a tent, something's rustling outside and presses up against it. He goes out to have a look. He's got a rifle, all that. Goes out, he has a flashlight, his rifle. Doesn't see anything. Uh, It's dark as hell. You can't see shit beyond the flashlight's light, which is perfect. Now, you're... Uh, anticipating something obviously coming out you don't know if it's going to smack him from the back from the front because he can't see shit either yeah and basically it looks like he turns around faces back towards the tent and it looks like he starts to get back in and then I think something rushes at him then and pushes him into the tent yeah he kind of hears a noise from behind him and then he gets his throat slit oh that was it it, it's fine. It's something that's really easy and cheap to do. And so for a horror film this budget, yeah, okay. If you need to fill in a death, then a nice little throat slip. Is, what it basically is, is you just cut away from the camera and then put on a skin mould with a few um, blood packets, burst them. That mm-hmm. comes through. It's nice and quick. I don't know quite how it was pulled off by the Nazis. Surgeon level precise, stabbing there. Yeah, I, I do want to point out as well, like, obviously, he he grabs his throat, um, gets back into the tent, and uh, he, the torchlight vaguely shows someone rushing towards the tent, and then, obviously, the flashlight inside the tent, there's loads of blood splattering up against it. Really well shot. I actually really like the scene. Why did he die? He didn't have any gold on him. Nazi pricks. I'll leave it at that. Nazis. They'll go around killing anything. And Herzog, complete and utter contemptuous arsehole. I could see him just, he's in the vicinity. We've got the opportunity to kill whoever's within this little perimeter. So, guy dies, stabbed by two silhouetted figures, Nazis. I said, really nice scene. Again, it gives you that kind of little taster. A tiny bit more where you see the Nazi zombie in just a little bit more of his glory. Not quite the full figure yet, but we're getting there. Bit by bit, you're building up an image. Gets it all rolling. The best way of doing it, by far, keeps attention going and doesn't quite pay it off until later in. Uh, Back to the actual cabin. A cliche of horror films I really can't stand. There's a pointless dream segment. I say pointless. Sort of moves them towards the gold in a way. No, it doesn't even move them towards the gold because Erland finds that. So it is just purely pointless. I think it's literally 
to explain it away they're like okay this dude came in with this really creepy kind of horror story about these zombies or that's on or the these nazis that were here i'd understand the guy's kind of having a nightmare about his girlfriend walking through the the mountains on her own so i don't i don't i'd understand that i i wouldn't expect you to show it but just be like the next morning hey i had a nightmare i'm gonna go check on her just to make sure but that's how i kind of explain that part away I don't should be taking it at a level of there's a madman we've met who's yeah. willing to strangle someone that he's only just met. Let's go check to make sure she's all right. Oh, yeah, it could have been that too. <laughs> I think they do actually just call him a madman later on. Yeah, I think they do. And they, yeah, when one of them goes missing, they think it's him that's doing it. So they clearly think he's capable of murder, and he probably is, to be honest. So, uh, yeah, I'll be looking for my girlfriend. That makes sense. Although, to be fair, he did have... I don't know if it was like a premonition or something, but in that dream, obviously, Sarah comes in. She opens the hatch where the gold is, and there's like an... It's like the Pulp Fiction thing where there's an extreme glowing light from a briefcase sort of thing. But it's from the hatch. Then, obviously, she walks outside. He goes to follow her. She turns around, blood pouring out of her mouth, and he wakes up. He's not there when they find the gold. Yeah, which makes it entirely pointless. Yeah, and he doesn't bring it up to anyone. He's like, hey, check what's in the hatch or anything like that. He's literally just like, there was a glowing light from the hatch. I'd assume just because I'm having a nightmare, it's one of those things that happens. I don't know if it was a script change or something. It does seem like he should have been the one to tell them about it. Yeah. And then fuck off. Because that's what it was building to, but... They uh, go the other route and have Erland find it. So quickly go through some of Vergard's stuff. He rides off into the sunset. About midday, he stops on a ridge, has a look around and sees the orange of the old weirdo's tent and starts making his way down to have a look at it. Uh, I don't know, be thinking Sarah's there or anyone. Doesn't notice the blood on the snow single-minded looking at the tent because he walks up to the tent looks like he's not paying any attention to any of his surroundings or anything then obviously hello no one answers so he opens the tent and finds old guy with his throat slit looking horrified yeah like, a horrible corpse yeah really really to be fair it, he looks like a corpse and he looks like a frozen corpse so well done yeah i had a bit of an intake of breath at that one exactly what i think of when I saw when I see a corpse, especially in like frozen conditions, it was perfectly made. Yeah. And yeah, he's obviously shit scared, starts running off and falls down a hole. Oh yeah, yeah, that happens. Yeah, cut back. Kind of transitions then from daytime to nighttime. No no. There's like fill out sled racing again and then it cut like while he's eating his sandwiches. I've literally put more filler sled racing with Fagard eating his sandwiches. And then it cuts back after he's found the corpse and fallen down the hole. Cuts back and Hannah's cutting carrots or something and then she cuts her finger. Yeah, cuts her finger and get one pointless thing to, I suppose, have something around the haemophobia. Yeah. Because otherwise it wouldn't come up at all. Because they get covered in blood later, from head to toe. Yeah, he's literally, he's wiping blood off his face 
as if it was nothing, if, as if it was just a, a bit of a shower water later in the film. But one cut on her finger and he's ready to yeah. throw up. He's like, no, 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 don't show me. And then everyone obviously starts taking the piss and whatnot. Erland is like, anyone want a drink? And then that's when they find the treasure. Yeah, he goes through uh, where the beer's been left and everything. I'm sure someone would have found that box before Erland at some yeah. point. When putting the beer down, they're going, oh, what's that weird antique wooden box? It's filled with gold. I should probably look this up. They tried to play it off by explaining it like, oh, the bag split that the beers are holding, so he has to take more care, and he reaches in a bit further and sees the, the chests or the, the little box. But literally, I had the same thought. Like, if you're putting beer down there, you want to check that, like, okay, first you've got space, so you check the surrounding, see if there's anything down there. Oh, there's a little wooden box. Let's see what's in that. And End up taking go. it on like Norwegian Antiques Roadshow. Exactly. The way I saw it is Sarah found the cave that uh, Vegard has fallen into, where he later finds like Nazi memorabilia and stuff like that. She's found the box in there, taken it to the cabin, left her bag, and then obviously the attack happened and she ran off, and then whatever. And then Erland obviously finds it later. But if you're her and you found this like little box of pot, they talk, start talking about how they're going to pay off their student loans with it. Why would yeah. you not just go, okay, I found this box. I'm going to walk off this mountain and go sell this immediately. I don't know how much Norwegian student loans cost, but British student loans, they aren't fun to pay off. If you could pay off, what was that? There's one, two, three, like six of them. That's in excess of hundreds of thousands if we're talking like living costs and everything i keep that fucking safe yeah let it leave my sight uh, especially how yeah they he picks out the box erland puts it on the side and they start messing about with it which i wouldn't fucking do i'll go holy shit we've got a box full of really antique gold don't touch it leave it yeah, they start throwing it around and they start wearing like the earrings from it. And Martin, probably the smart one, is like, let's put it all back. We we want to talk to Vagard and Sarah when they get back and see that we can, you know, take this, see if it's one of theirs and then take this. And if it's not, we'll sell it and pay off whatever. And everyone's else like, no, nah, we're going to fuck about with it. And then later in the scene, he's doing the exact same thing as them anyway, so... You just know in reality, like, if there are no zombies around, it would turn out it was Sarah's only, grandma's only possessions that she'd handed down. And it was some ancient fucking tradition to hand this gold down. Yeah, it's your it was, family heirlooms, and uh, we're just going to fuck about with your dead nan stuff. Sorry, we've lost a load of it in the snow. I know it's tradition, I know it's uh, the most meaningful object to you, but we didn't give a shit. Martin's girlfriend, Hannah sneaks a gold coin at Krugerrand into his pocket, into uh, Martin's pocket. Even though he's like, hey, let's put it all back. Let's not steal, let's not possibly steal from one of our friends. Let's put it all back. We'll figure it out when they come here. And she's like, nah, I'm going to slip a Krugerrand into your pocket, see if you can sell that for millions. It's fine. Yeah, I mean, to put this in perspective, if one of my mates 
nick 20 quid from me, I'd be annoyed. If they nicked a gold coin, I'd be fucking fuming. I, I assume I'd take it to a fucking museum or something. It's fine, but they'd be like, oh, you're just going to donate that? No, I, I need money, please. Maybe it's just me. I'm just fucking stupid. But Yeah, no, no. For the um, Saxon gold hoard brought up in Birmingham, you needed uh, permission to dig there, the guy, and he needed to tell people where he got it, that he got permission to dig there, and he brought it in just so they know you didn't steal it, that it's definitely yours, that you didn't just happen to find it on public property, which means it's the property of the country, not yours. There's a lot of laws that yeah. you have to deal with before you're allowed to sell this shit on. Which, yeah, make it pretty fucking awkward to go through. Uh, and of course, even more awkward going up to the fucking museum. Hi, I found this gold. It's German stuff. Nazi grandpa or some shit. <laughs> <laughs> we start to get into the action after this. Now the gold coins are out. Everything's been set up. We've seen bits and pieces of the zombies. It's time for it to all kick off properly. Mm-hmm. And yet they all start moving off one by one. Uh, in one of the most awkward scenes in both of the films, you start off with Erland moving over to the outhouse, announces <laughs> to everyone that he needs to take a shit. Yeah, proudly announces, I'm taking a shit. Apparently the most seductive line that you can uh, posit. I, th- I say this at work and it does not get me anything. Yeah, he walks off, goes to the bathroom, and Chris toddles on behind and... In what has got to be absolutely freezing cold temperatures, I, mean, I can't imagine, up on a mountain in Norway, it's got to be minus four, minus five. In in an outhouse that has no heating whatsoever. With a guy that either is currently having a shit or has just had one with obviously no plumbing, so you're going to smell it. Yeah. Uh, she opens the outhouse door and uh, has sex with him. I want to point out she sucks his finger. (laughs) I swear to... I hope that there was shit on it. Because fuck you. People in long-term relationships have have trouble having sex in the bathroom. Fuck you. (laughs) Should be mentioned, he hasn't touched the toilet paper at this point. Yeah, like, he hasn't wiped. Moving swiftly on. Yeah, it cuts quite back and forth between Vagard... And the other group at the cabin. They guard... Yeah, he's already awoken at this point, And he's got up, moved through this kind of cabin system that's built beneath the snow. He's found a way out, but then goes back to explore. After, um, yeah, literally shit-fucking. Erlen goes back in, has that shitty ingrain, like, yeah, did you see Chris? And he's like, oh yeah, I did. And obviously she stays out there to kind of give a cover story like, I waited out here for you to finish and then I needed to go. And he's just like, yeah, fuck that. And then... I love that no one picks up on it. Yeah. Because even they thought that would be fucking horrendous. We told them, or we told Chris she was with Roy. God damn it. But yeah, so that happens. Like, there's that little scene where... uh, Erlen comes back in and he's got that shit-eating grin. And then... of course now they've had sex, so they're both marked for death. Yeah, literally, I've I've written that down in notes. I was like, Chris obviously dies first because she was spunked into. That is literally what I've written into into Always the rule. Woman who has sex 
You're it fucked. dies first. <laughs> and then, obviously, because it's taken a while for Chris to come back in, they're like, let's let's have a look for her. And Martin's kind of like, all right. No, Hannah, Hannah starts panicking, and Martin, obviously, because... Uh, He's the boyfriend. Like, okay, we'll 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 go have a look. Whatever. They take a walk around. Uh, yeah, they... they get Roy to check the toilet, and he takes a shotgun out with Erland uh, to walk around the perimeter a bit. All three of them are a bit too nonchalant for my liking. Yeah, because you know, there's a madman, and she's not coming back. I would be worried myself. I'd be at Hanhurst level of fucking hell. Yeah, I'd we should be, go out right now. I'd be now. panicking at this point myself, and then that's when they find Sarah's backpack, very badly hidden backpack that's like barely covered in snow, nothing. And they're like, "Oh shit, Sarah's already been here. Vega's gone to look for her, but she should have been here. Now we should worry." They go back inside and whatnot without course, Chris. Yeah. Chris, at this point, she first thing. I think the uh, second most unfortunate being in this series who was hiding in the shitter to pull her down. Yeah. <laughs> must be some shit-covered zombie. He must, he must have been staring at Erland's asshole for God knows how long. <laughs> <laughs> some then, horny-ass little shit wanking off in the toilet beneath both of them, trying to then, keep himself silent. Getting yeah. shit on by Erland okay. just to be able to grab Chris into the uh, outhouse. Yeah, she he pulls her through the... Hits her, or cuts her in the stomach, stabs her, doesn't kill her, uh, and then before Hannah opens the door to check for her, she gets rugby tackled off to the side, and she gets stabbed, she gets her head cut off, uh, which brings the action later in. It kicks everything yeah. off. I, I want to uh, point out, this is a second film where someone has crawled out of an outhouse. <laughs> in a row. I, I swear, I don't pick and choose these based on <laughs> shitters. How many people get out of the shitter? This this all happens like she's been decapitated that comes back into play later and then obviously they take the backpack back into the, the house and start talking about oh shit, maybe we should um, get the fuck out of here when Vagard gets back and see what's going on, contact the police whatnot. Yeah, so Chris kind of turns up at the window and fucking Hannah's like, oh shit, thank fuck, come inside, whatnot. And then her head levitates <laughs> to the top part of the window. And then obviously, as you would, seeing no, no body attached to that head, she fucking freaks out. And uh, I don't remember if she tells anyone, hey, I just saw her. Like her decapitated head fly. Off. Yeah, she does because she thinks the first thing you come up with. I just saw someone playing fucking puppet master with my mate's head. <laughs> They're not friends with Mordo, so floating head. Yeah, and then pretty much at, as soon as they'd done that scare tactic, the zombies start like fucking attacking at the, the this point. I think they start like smashing in the windows. Yeah, smashing the windows, they start smacking at the door. Uh, everything's beginning to be barricaded. They've got the shotgun out, they've got knives ready. And Erland's um, panicking like a little bitch. Yeah, Erland's panicking like a little bitch. They instantly go, all right, don't put your... Oh, because someone tried... They tried to pull someone out the window and they go... Uh, Liv. 
yeah, that's it. They tried to pull Liv out the window, and they're like, don't put your back to the windows. And then instantly, <laughs> literally in that same sentence, put their back to a window. Erlen starts shouting, don't get bitten, because obviously he is the film expert of zombies and stuff. I'd hope that's basic knowledge at this point. I wished more things were like, okay, everyone's seen a fucking zombie film. Yeah, I know Martin mentions earlier, Erlen said, or if you get bit, you turn into one. Surely you fucking know. Yeah. It's like, it's set in the time it was made, 2009-ish, 2010-ish, which is the pinnacle of zombie hype. You had 28 Days Later kicking it all back off. Obviously, you had the classic George Romero stuff. Everyone knows about zombies. But yeah, they start barricading the windows, barricade the doors and stuff. They have knives and guns ready. Out of the lot of them, Martin and Hannah kind of become the badasses for the time being. Yeah, they are the Cut fucking off. MVPs of this entire group. And then Hannah cuts off one of the zombies' hands and shows it to Martin. <laughs> <laughs> Even after they've gone, don't put your back to the window, Erland, as he is, he's panicking and freaking the fuck out. One of the windows breaks behind him. He's pulled, or almost pulled halfway outside of the, the window. And they've done that thing where everyone rushes to grab him, obviously. And this is very well shot and whatnot, because I genuinely thought that that was a brain on the floor. But they pull his face and head clean into, and his yeah, brain plain. hits the floor. Playing tug of war with his body for a while, and then I think the zombies should give up and decide, oh, his head's out, we can just yeah. kill him here. Yeah, we'll, uh, we'll put our fingers into his eyes, into his mouth, and just fucking pull. It's kind of a little homage to the Shaun of the Dead death. I can't remember the character name, but Dylan Moran's death yeah, in Shaun the of the Dead was asshole. ripped apart, which is a fucking amazing in that, and really great here. You see his head caved into, split open and his brain as well that's cut in half from the yeah. hemisphere. Really nice. And everyone shits themselves. I will say it's a really weird cut at this point. From this like non-stop action that's, well this like start of the action that's just started. They cut to Vagard where he wakes up in the next morning in the cave. See, I reckon that's because obviously it was the start of the night and they don't want to continue this in perpetuity uh, to have to, you know, do action, action, action until daytime come. Yeah. It's a lot easier to transition, move out. It's what he does a lot, the uh, director, I found, to mm. transition between times. He'll just cut to another person, cut to another scene, yeah. rather than doing an actual transition, which is yeah. fine. I suppose, it, I suppose that makes sense, but... It works. Uh, yeah, it, it does cut a little between Virgard. I think purely for daytime, nighttime transition. Yeah, but so... cutting to Virgard, who's I say Hannah and Martin, the resident badasses. He fucking is the resident badass. Yeah, Virgard is the badass. That's literally on his own at the at this point, and is he's the badass. It he climbs out of the cave. Like you see him kind of poke his head out and like, of the snow. He's found like an opening. And you see him climb out. Then it cuts back between him climbing out and then back to Hannah, where she plan- she makes the plan of them splitting into twos. The men as bait and the ladies go for help, which... And then 
<laughs> they make a joke about uh, who's the um, unlucky suds that are going to be the bait, and obviously that's where it cuts to Roy and uh, Martin outside standing in the cold without their snow jackets or anything, banging a saucepan with like a wooden spoon trying to make as much noise and Roy's just standing next to him I think the idea was two of them run to the river and two of them bang away which it's a good plan yeah two run to the run to get that uh, run to the cars and two kind of draw the bait to like the opposite side it's at the very least an in character plan yeah I think this often the problem with horror films or horror film analysis where people kind of judge it based on, oh, is this a good idea, is this a bad idea? When in reality, what you should be doing is going, is this what the character would think of? Is this what they'd put forward? And yeah, this is the kind of idea they'd have. This yeah. is about the level that they'd work at. You send two people off as bait, two people off running to try to find help along the river. They're doctors, they're quite smart, and it's a good plan. Uh, and then Roy is, again, a complete fucking coward. This is... this. This is the best line because I've written it down. This is my favourite line in the film. He goes, where are you, you fucking pussies? Are you afraid of daylight? And then he instantly goes, fuck, that was a bit too much. Do you think they're going to be pissed? They call the better is apparently, uh, obviously, Roy, he helped write it. Yeah. So he wrote that line for himself. And good <laughs> to the trivia, said Martin was based on a friend of theirs. Apparently, Roy's character is based on the actual person. Yeah. Who fully believes himself <laughs> to be that? <laughs> oh, that's amazing! I didn't know that. That's that's pretty cool. They split off in two different directions: Martin and Roy, and the two girls running off into the woods. Uh, you kind of leave Martin and Roy for a bit, and they end up back at the cabin later. Yeah, I presume they went in circles or something and came back to the cabin. I'd assume they've made as much noise then as soon as one of them's gone. Oh shit! There they are. Let's get into the cabin where there's a shotgun. And then yeah. they've tried to defend that as best they could. Which is badly. Yeah. <laughs> but it cuts back to Vagard and he's back in the cave that he just climbed out of. The first time I watched this film, I was watching it with a load of mates. Yeah. About eight of us, and we were all shit-faced. And obviously Vagard here, he finds the Nazi memorabilia. He finds his girlfriend's uh, head yeah. placed on site and he finds a, a light machine gun basically mm-hmm. like a mounted fucking gun World War 2 style I must have been too drunk for this scene because uh, I completely forgot about it later on <laughs> and I just thought he turns up with the machine gun that just appeared out of fucking nowhere and it was, it was quite in character for this random complete badass but yeah he finds this machine gun he finds uh, the Nazi memorabilia and is... Uh, ambushed by one of the zombies. This guy fist fights like three zombies, I think. Yeah, a zombie that can punch him and knock him down on the ground, like send him a couple feet. Yeah, flying. Yeah, uh, that's it. Because he finds the head. Find literally, it's like a, a stone chair, if anything. And he finds like obviously Nazi helmet, Nazi helmet, girlfriend's head machine gun oh shit that's my girlfriend's head panics turns round and then he gets punched clean out of the cave punted like a fucking rugby ball he goes a good like five feet off in the distance and then there's yeah 
a quite fun little fight. There's the knife sticking over him, that classic bit. The knife, you know, punted away. Uh, and then he ends up bashing the zombie's head in with his own helmet. Yeah. He caves the zombie's head in with the helmet. And then when he's like, okay, I'm done, he hears another noise and it's another one. And he's like, okay, I'll fight this one as well. So this other zombie just pops up like a fucking whack-a-mole uh, and stares down at him and the guard kind of goes from panic to, yeah, I'm going to kick the shit out of you and I'm going to yeah. enjoy it. I'm going to fucking a little grin. destroy you. <laughs> and they fight on the, the edge of a cliff, said budget, and give a lot of leeway. This is really clearly green screened, a lot of this. Really obvious. Yeah, yeah. Has to be said, has to be mentioned, but yeah. Bits and pieces, certainly when they're dangling, certain angles on it and certain angles on the top, it's really obvious yeah yeah Vagard obviously after fighting the one zombie that had the knife to him that he caved the skull in of the next zombie comes along they start fist fighting he bites a like hefty chunk of zombie flesh off the dude's face and then kind of like I think he gets punched again and he's knocked back and then he notices the knife in the sand in the snow sorry Um, we're not in the desert and then he throws the knife like a fucking SAS soldier. Hits the guy in the eye. Luckily, yeah, he throws the knife like a fucking... Yeah, hits the dude straight in the eye and he's like, I'm a fucking god. I am a badass. And then... I, I think the dude like slams into a tree. No, he kicks him off the edge of the cliff and he's basically like impaled on a tree that's like hanging off the top. And yeah, this is the first count of uh, the director's obsession with intestines, Yeah, which come up surprisingly often. I should have probably made a counter for them. <laughs> it probably hit in the double digits fairly quickly. Probably. I'm not going to complain. It's, it's different uses every time. 101 fucking uses for intestines. Yeah. <laughs> and then the one that saw Vegard kind of cave in with a helmet gets back up and kind of rugby tackles them both off the edge of a cliff. And Vagard somehow grabbed the zombie that's impaled on the tree, grabbed its intestines, and used it basically like a climbing rope. Fell, the zombie's still hanging onto him, bites his neck, and then he headbutts him clean off. Headbutts him off his body so he's free. Climbs up, goes back to his snowmobile, and kind of sutures the neck wound. By himself, so this is the the second part of his like military training that I I assume he had. Yeah, with a fish hook. Yeah, fish hook and fishing wire and stuff. If you've ever gone fishing, I can barely set up the rods. I've not. I'm shit no. at that part of it. It's little fiddly hooks and little uh, weights and stuff. Jesus, <laughs> sewing up your own neck with it. It just shows how incompetent I'd be in a situation like this. I think I'd be worse, mate. Don't worry. I think I'd be zombie squad level. Yeah. Be, we all we all <laughs> want to think we'd be fucking Martin. We all know what level we'd be at. So, jumping onto the other group then. As I said, it kind of goes back and forth, but uh, we'll do it in one run-through. You go to Hannah and Liv, who are running towards the uh, stream. They hear the zombies and a molestic cry. Yeah. They're kind of a growl. Really nice stuff, really creepy. And, yeah, they realise the Nazi zombies coming straight towards them. 
Yeah, there's obviously you know footprints in the snow. It's quite easy to track. Yeah, they they give they think okay the bait they've taken the bait we're safe for now that so they stop and obviously they can't remember what direction they came from to get back to the cars so they're like we need to split up and we've got to the river you take the you follow the river to the right i'll follow the river to the left yeah it's not a bad idea i usually wouldn't suggest splitting up but in this case if they find you doesn't matter if you're together you're both fucking dead yeah you might as well take your chances and Liv has a panic attack and she's like, no, we're not splitting up. We can't see what happens when people split up and what happened to uh, Chris and whatnot. So Hannah's like, okay, fine. We'll we'll stay together. They hear zombies. Which lasts for about five seconds. If that, mate. They hear sounds of zombies and instantly do decide, hey, we're going to go with Hannah's idea and split up. It's what Hannah fucking ninja style kills zombies. Yeah. I think I've got written down here, Hannah channels her inner Ezio from Assassin's Creed. Starts off by hiding behind a tree, waiting for the zombie to run to her and then just pops. Pops out pops out with a rock and smacks him in the fucking head, doesn't she? Meanwhile, Liv gets punched in the face like a chump. Yeah, Liv, the same trick done to her. She's knocked out by a punch to the face and then... She kind of comes to, and two zombies are obviously pulling her intestines out. Yeah, watches uh, her own kind of pre-mortem autopsy. Yeah, and, and uh, uh, she notices there's like a old World War Two grenade on one of their like belts. Uh, a really kind of. nicely done German proper standard. Oh, what are they called? Uh, steel hand grenade. That's the word. It kind of, if you have played Call of Duty Finest Hour, the stuff you get is the Russians. Yeah. It's that classic kind of stick grenade. You pop the top off, throw it. Uh, it looks good. Yeah. Obviously, she's already dead, so she fucking grabs this grenade and pulls, uh, pops the top. And then the two zombies kind of look at each other. That kind of, here we go again. Oh no. Wow. <laughs> It cuts to Hannah and you see the large explosion in the distance. You can tell she's dead. Liv's gone. Yeah, obviously, as with every grenade in Hollywood, ridiculously big, but... Oh, yeah. I don't think I'm complaining. It's a ridiculously big explosion. I like ridiculously big explosions. Yeah, so basically she's climbed up a tree after she's done that first uh, stealth kill. She's climbed up a tree to kind of hope that the zombies run past and don't pay any attention. Obviously, out of nowhere, a crow appears on her like right-hand side and starts cawing. Yeah, crow, fucking the most dickhead crow starts pecking yeah, at Hannah. A dickhead crow starts pecking at her, starts cawing, and I've never let I I've never noticed a bird that's let me pick them up. But this bird lets Hannah grab it and fucking slam it against a tree like six times to stop it cawing. Obviously, after that, you notice she looks down and the two zombies are staring up at her. And that's when they decide, uh, one of us is going to start climbing up this tree. Yeah, so she... the one of them that has a kind of white parker on thing, little camo thing, starts so climbing up the tree. And she, again, channels her in a Ezio and does yeah. a fucking aerial assassination of yeah, the one at like... the bottom. Jumps down, cracks the one in the head, and starts running. And then the one that was climbing up the tree is like, the fuck's just happened? Jumps down, starts 
chasing her as well. Runs towards a cliff edge, and I'm not quite sure what her plan was. I don't know if it was a Hail Mary of, fuck it, I've got nothing else I can do now. I don't know if it was like, alright, if I'm dying, I'm taking you with me, sort of thing, or if it was just kind of, I hope I survive this. But she runs to like a cliff edge where it looks like the edge of, well, yeah, basically this like uh, mountain edge uh, is made of sheer ice and she just starts kind of jumping on it. Yeah, and the camera as this is going kind of shakes as you hear the rumbling beneath. Quite nicely done. Yeah, and that's when obviously the, the zombie kind of rushes at her. They both fall and... At this point, I genuinely was like, okay, she's dead too. Yeah, it's not like a 10-foot fall. No. It's it, a big fucking drop. Yeah. I don't know, dropping onto water, I don't know what the exact height is, but that'll kill you pretty steadily. Belly flopping from a diving board will fucking hurt. I can't imagine what dropping from that distance is. Yeah, I'd, I'd imagine it would fucking suck, but she manages to get through it she starts to panic because obviously she's falling into snow and a lot of snow has just fallen on top of her so obviously avalanche sort of thing and i think she notices that like some snot was coming out of her nose and it was dribbling downwards so she was like okay i need to push up i don't i I assume that's what happened anyway because she wasn't in the car when they were talking about the uh military thing of spitting so Oh, she's certainly smart enough to do it. She's shown herself yeah. to be quite competent. And she gets out, uh, gets away from any of the other zombies. <laughs> yeah, there's a zombie lying there with broken back, I think. Because yeah. he's landed on a rock. So if she was two feet to the one direction, she would have fucking landed on that rock. And then she uh, starts running off and doesn't come up for a little bit. Yeah. Comes up for a little surprise cameo later on. Yes. Martin and Roy, which I've been cutting back to intermittently, but... So we're going to yeah. do this one by one. Martin and Roy defending the cabin. I've and put... their current plan, a couple things they've got kind of throwing in the idea box. First one is, you know, shotgun, fire anything that comes to the window. Uh, second one is throwing Molotov, which I presume they're meant to throw outside. They have a conversation back and forth. They're like, oh, are you sure that's going to work? And Roy's making the Molotov. He's like, yeah, it's fucking like... 30 year old gin it's gonna it's gonna go up it's finish moonshine oh that was it finish moonshine i've drank i've had russian moonshine which is really unpleasant yeah i'd I'd assume so i've had slovakian not had finish but i can only fucking imagine (laughs) what hell on earth that would be polish is bad enough and he's like okay yeah this this is gonna work so they put the cloth in the top, they light it, and Roy goes to throw it out the window. <laughs> and this is the best part. He he hits the wall slightly to the left of the window. So he set the cabin on fire himself. And then very calmly, they're like, yeah, I think it's time we call the police. Yeah, and then I, I feel these characters are quite smart. Again, I think... To be fair, I think in this next segment, it again comes down to don't write what smart people would do, write what the actual characters would do. And Martin, up to this point, has been shown to be quite no-nonsense, quite arrogant, and quite dismissive of the uh, fantastical, of the horror, and the film side of stuff. And so I imagine this is about how well the 999 phone call would go. He 
and uh, granted this is in character but like a complete retard says they're being attacked by world war ii germans yeah he's he's like um yeah sorry we're we're in a cabin and it's on fire we're being attacked by nazi zombies and obviously the operator on the other end is like okay this is a fucking hoax cut the call and then Roy is obviously like, of course they're going to cut the call on you, you fucking moron. You said there was Nazi zombies here. Yeah, and suggests phoning about terrorists. And then uh, in a film with a load of Nazi zombies, probably the most unrealistic thing in the entire franchise is Nokia dies. And obviously so between the lack of any outside help and the problem of the burning cabin uh, with Finnish absinthe, mm-hmm coated all over it they decide the best option at this point is running towards the shed which i don't think you've seen up to this point actually no it's not mentioned up to this point or anything they're just like there's a shed so they run to that there's another resident uh, i was gonna say resident evil evil dead reference where the chainsaw comes into shot and i think it's the same sound that they use in evil dead where he's like uh fixing the chainsaw to his arm and stuff which is the whole montage of getting equipment from the shed and yeah. preparing up. It's, it's all a little homage. And the zombies from this point onwards kind of dip in quality. I don't know if they've just fought the elites before this point and now they're getting to the morons of the platoon. Yeah, I think the elites were fighting Vagard and chasing the women, maybe. Because these get obliterated by two men yeah they uh for lack of a better term go brain dead yeah they literally just run at them with no weapons while one of them's got a shotgun a chainsaw and the other one's got like hammer and sickle and i think he even does the russian hammer and sickle sign and that pisses off some of them yeah it was a nice little touch Vergard, he's, he's coming back at this point he's attached a machine gun to his snowmobile there's one last little zombie attempted ambush that he clears on the snowmobile, holds on to it, he drives along, and he ends up getting smacked by a tree as he stands up. Yeah. And almost comically gets fucking slammed off. Yeah, I think that was intentionally played for... Oh, well, obviously it was intentionally played for a bit of a yuck. But then he basically... Uh, Vagard kind of like comes out of like the forest when uh, Martin and Roy have run out of shotgun shells and he kind of tells them to get down and he mows down like 13 of these like Nazi zombies. It's a great scene because he does some very inventive snowmobile kills where he like puts one against a tree and between the, the, the tracks and kind of pushes the throttle and kind of uh, the zombie kind of goes down into the tracks and gets like obviously ripped apart. And then another one where, oh, he puts the tracks on top of its face and pushes the throttle. Fair enough, they're the same thing, but it was invented. They turn around and he's like, "You find, uh, we found Sarah's bag. They're like, yeah, found Sarah's head. Very nonchalantly kind of like, everyone else dead? They're like, no, um, Hannah and Liv gone to look for the cars and we're kind of just doing this. And then the, the most, like, they killed the badass of the badass in this very like anticlimactically i'd say almost cheaply he gets snuck up on by about 10 of them martin and roy kind of point he turns around he gets stabbed in the chest 
And then he turns around, looks at them, spits out blood, and then gets stabbed in the back. And then, like, three... No, like, five other zombies come out, stab him in the you know, each of the legs and each of the arms. And then they pick him up and then pull him apart. Yeah, I mean, he tanks a lot of damage, but does get snuck up yeah. on by a squadron of the twats. Oh, yeah, biggest badass of the film dies, and then the uh, inheritor of that title... Martin and Roy, they uh, take a bit of revenge and they go off killing more and more zombies and then we get to what is by far and away the dumbest death in the entire series. I just want to pose this question to everyone in this, that's listening to this right now. If one of your, I don't know, say your boyfriend, (laughs) he's hacking away at a zombie corpse right in front of you, he's very clearly in a like very aggressive fight against multiple enemies would you sneak up on him and tap him on the shoulder because that's what hannah did and she got a hatchet in the neck for it yeah we can go with multiple choice would you a stand about 10 feet away and announce your presence b yeah. smack him with a hammer c i uh, tickle his balls <laughs> or d just sneak up on him tap him on the back but it's not the case because even if Roy, like Roy is standing like maybe ten feet away, fair enough. He may be in his own fight, but he might have heard Hannah go, "Hey," and at that point he could be like, "Dude, you misses." Yeah. Either way, none of that happens, and Hannah's fucking bollocks by her, uh, <laughs> actually. And then she she kind of falls to the floor, and obviously, as you would, you've just hacked your misses in the neck with a he starts to kind of panic and cry and Roy's kind of standing there on his own facing Herzog and another platoon of zombies and he's like dude um need your help yeah and Martin sort of gets uh, his due for killing his girlfriend <laughs> as he's bitten on the arm yeah during his uh, I don't want to say hissy fit because he just killed his girlfriend but no uh, hissy fit yeah he much justified hissy fit uh, he's bitten on the arm, and p- probably my favourite line in the film is where they argue back and forth about whether they'll turn. Yeah. Uh, there's one argument put forward of, well, they've not bothered biting anyone since. I don't think, Mar- uh, is it Martin or Roy? Roy says something about your grandfather's half Jewish. <laughs> yeah, why, Yeah, I do like that line. He's like, aren't you half, half Jewish? I don't think they'd want to recruit you. And he's like, no, 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 you had Earl and he's like, don't get bitten. Don't want to get bitten because you'll turn. He turns on the chainsaw and cuts off the the offending item. Instant, yeah. at, at, like he's he's set a light, he's cauterized the wound. Cauterized the wound, uh, chops it off, and then instantly you get about a second to see a smile of satisfaction. Gets bit in the balls. <laughs> Which is just beautiful. Yeah, and he, he kind of like grabs a hammer and caves the one's head in that's obviously bit him in the junk and he looks at the chainsaw looks at Roy and he's like okay an arm I could cut off I ain't cutting off my dick I'll die now that means I can't use it I'll just die it's fine and then they turn to face Herzog who at the moment is the last uh, man standing yeah of his original platoon not for long Herzog does a little kind of White Walker-esque uh, resurrection or a calling of the rest of his Nazi battalion. And must have been 
possibly up to a hundred. Yeah. Other things start peering through the snow. There was a shitload that kind of burst from the snow. They stand around and watch until the last one's kind of climbed out of the snow. And then they just go, okay, yeah, fuck this. Yeah, it's quite nice how quickly they decide on that. Yeah, it's literally... It's just an instantly just, oh. Yeah, fuck that. We've we've killed about 30 so far. I think we're done. Let's go. And then um, as they're kind of running, Roy's kind of fallen behind because obviously Martin's kind of lost a bit of weight now a bit more aerodynamic Roy starts falling behind and Herzog kind of comes out of the side you kind of a nice shot because you see it coming it's like one uh, you see Herzog kind of blurred and as he gets kind of closer to the camera he kind of comes more into focus and he's got a hammer in his hand and clubs Roy and Roy kind of carries on running but his head's in his hands kind of holding the blood and then he kind of stumbles into a tree, kind of starts to walk away, and then kind of turns Intesting around. Testing count number two. Three. Three, because uh, Liv had hers pulled out, remember? Um, he kind of turns around. His uh, Somehow the, the tree's gone through his stomach, punctured his intestine, and pulled the intestine out. And then he started to walk away and obviously turned around to notice he's like leashed to a tree and then falls down and dies. Uh, like a sale at a local horror store. Yeah, I think that must have been what it is. There must have been like, we've got some silly putty. We can kind of make that into an intestine if you want. Like fucking done. We'll just put loads of that. That was just what their their artist was really good at. The only thing he could fucking do. (laughs) They had uh, one really talented guy and a fucking intern. All he could do was intestines. Martin's plan at this point was obviously they're shitting themselves. They can't really run to the car. And then he kind of makes the logical leap. Oh, they're after their gold. He starts to run back to the burnt down cabin that's now ash, basically. Runs to pick up the box out of the uh, out of the hatch and basically kind of gets there before Herzog and kind of offers it to him. And Herzog kind of watches and lets Martin run away. Herzog comes forward, picks up the uh, but kind of lets him get away. Counts it, I presume. Yeah, yeah I'd assume so. And then he must have realised that there was one short. Cause... Out of the scrupulous bastard. Yeah, after what, 80 years or 100 years or whatnot, he's kind of like, um, I know how much gold I had. There's one fucking missing. You fuck. And then, uh, Martin kind of gets back to the car, gets in, because he has trouble putting the car key in, obviously, because he's got one arm. As he drops the keys, he goes to pick them back up and realises that a gold coin has fallen out of his pocket. He bends down to pick it up, and you see Herzog at the window, and then that's kind of where the... Well, it kind of ends where Herzog punches in the window, and that's kind of it. Yeah, a nice little kind of ending cliffhanger. Standard sum this stuff, kind of like everyone's fucked anyway. Not sure if they knew they were going to make a sequel at this point. I don't think they did because half the time, like it was in the first film, it's day when he escapes. And then in the second film, it starts off, it's nighttime. But regardless, cutting a good five years, I think it just made so much money that sorry, fuck it, yeah, we'll let you make another one much higher budget thank god they did because these films are really great as much as we nitpick them they are really fucking good so after that ending 
uh, which the second film picks up straight from. We you know skip five years in the real world between Dead Snow One, Dead Snow Two, Red vs Dead. Had to look up. It's twenty fourteen. One of my favourite games that came out was South Park: The Stick of Truth. I don't know if you played that. Yeah. Obviously, the Nazi zombies and that as well, which turned from the goo. I was just wondering which one came first. It came out like within two months of each other. We, yeah, once again, we have director and writer of Tommy Wicola. I presume I'm pronouncing that differently each time. I can't remember. I think you are. Yeah. I'll get it right at least once. At this point, said he's gone away and he's made Hansel and Gretel, a witch hunter, which at the very least, while it was a shit film, Gave him some experience with being able to work on much bigger budgets, much bigger projects, which you can see the effect of in this. There's a lot more camera angles, a lot more neat tricks that he pulls off. Uh, written as well, this time, not by the guy who played Roy, but the guy who played Martin co-written, Berger Hole, Hoel. And then otherwise, once again, starring Martin, Berger Hoel, Hoel who puts in a different performance, but a better one. It's uh, really nice, the progression of Martin's character yeah. through these films and how uh, Verga shows that on the screen. Quite over the top, some of this acting, but it works for the yeah. uh, tone. I do want to say that Roy is in this one, but he's not Roy, he's someone else. Oh, I didn't notice. Yeah, you know the uh, the the one with the long hair, the the emo looking one. Oh, is that is that seriously him? It's Roy. I was like, I know you. I've seen you before. It's it's him. The museum worker. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I would credit to the costume department. I genuinely had no idea. But they're completely different people. Yeah, you had me fooled up until this point. So uh, well done. Yeah. Uh, otherwise, yeah. Orjan Gamps makes a reappearance as Herzog, who like. Uh, Virgo Howell gets uh, much gets much more of a chance to improve upon his performance as Herzog and gets a lot more opportunities to add a few nuances here and there and does a really good job as well. Of the new cast, there's some police. God, I don't think I actually read that. Yeah. There's some police, which I think you noticed one of them was from Game of Thrones. Yeah, I, I don't watch Game of Thrones, by the way, but I knew that I'd seen this woman before. And then, to be fair, she's in quite a lot. And Rita and Ak- Akari, Akaria. I'm I've butchered that, so don't worry. I'm, I'm I'm also butchering names, but she's one of the police women in this. And I looked up her IMDb page, and instead of having a picture of her from Game of Thrones or anything, she had the picture of her in this. Yeah, I'm gonna assume her based on skin tone that she was probably from Dawn, which was not a great chapter of Game of Thrones. So yeah. Probably best to yeah. uh, go with this. Uh, but <laughs> besides the cops, the three new uh, big players, uh, we have Martin Starr as Daniel, the leader of the zombie squads, who's been in an absolute shitload. Freaks and Geeks, the big one. Great film. Knocked Up with Seth Rogen. Spider-Man? Uh, oh, crap. He's in the new Spider-Man, wasn't he? He was uh, one of the teachers. Oh, good for him. Uh, yeah. Of the others, uh, Ingrid Hass as Blake, who a uh, film called Still Wild and very short scene in Scott Pilgrim vs. the World, the classic Edgar Wright film, and mm-hmm. Jocelyn DeBoer as Monica, who, in Greener Grass, and something that took me about a week to realise where I'd seen it, it was annoying me, 
the entire time. Uh, she was in a college humor sketch, one of the really early ones. The um, like your girlfriend's six friends thing when uh, they had Josh around. Yeah, and she was very good in it. I did like that era of college humor. So budget for this one, I couldn't find for the life of me. Sometimes happens. Yeah, I couldn't find it. And this one, it actually won some awards, quite a lot. Uh, deservedly so. Namely, a few from the Toronto After Dark Film Festival. Before we actually start, an issue you're only going to notice if you watch the Amazon version and you're a deaf prick like I am. Uh, because I have to have subtitles for a lot of these films. Otherwise, I have to sit like a little gremlin in a dark damp basement with my headphones on turned up to max volume because i am just that deaf otherwise yeah i'm sitting on tv screen watching the subtitles and in this film it has a 50 50 between norwegian and english while the last film was purely norwegian yeah and it has subtitles inbuilt in the film for the norwegian parts english subtitles the film provides amazon provides subtitles for both the english and the norwegian now, it would be annoying enough if the subtitles matched up and you just had two sets that got in the way. A bit of repetition. It's made infinitely more irritating when the subtitles don't match up. When you clearly see there's a line in English of the Norwegian and then Amazon does another line and they're different. <laughs> I Thankfully, I'm not deaf, so I didn't actually come up with this problem, but I may watch it back just to find this problem. <laughs> yeah, you won't have to wait long. Pretty much every line is slightly varied. And it's really, really annoying. Uh, partially because, obviously, you have to remember, oh, I've got to look at the actual films on the Norwegian one because those lines are usually the better written ones and closer yeah. to what they actually mean, I imagine. And partially because I'm terrified now that other foreign films were fucked up by Amazon as well. Like, is Pan's Labyrinth <laughs> some sort of family-friendly comedy that I didn't fucking know about because Amazon fucked up the <laughs> subtitles? Is uh, Let the Right One In actually a PSA about child safety? So yeah, as we said, it's pretty much transitioned straight from the ending of the first one into this new one, starting with a fairly quick recap of the film. Like you said, the tone is a bit, a bit more escalated i think the tone in the first one is just slightly more serious it's slightly more horror skewed yeah a dude gets bit in the dick in the first one so it can't be taken too serious it's still not serious you're talking kind of zombie land level yeah it goes for a recap and then we begin uh, where it left off martin's in the car he's one arm trying to style it all up yeah they they kind of instantly start off with a joke where that very popular song where um I can't remember. It's like talking about ding ding dongs or some shit like that. I can't remember what the name of the song. Telling me, Steph, that you're not up to date with the latest pop hits of the world. Latest pop hits? No. No, I can't say I'm up to date with the latest pop hits. I'm not down with the kids. Yeah, he's attacked by uh, Herzog, who's, I'd say, looking. Yeah, Herzog's looking for the last coin. Yeah. And attacks him, along with another of the platoon who attacks from the other window and then two who are just jumping on the car trying to wreck it. What dicks? 
Uh, and Martin, obviously, he's only got one arm. And as Herzog's pulling him out one window, the other Nazi zombies attacking him from the other. You can see his arm kind of edging closer and closer towards the gear stick. And then he goes for the radio instead. He turns it off. A more important thing to turn off the radio. Yeah. I think it was mentioned in the uh, first song, he fucking hates music generally. He does manage to fight off the two zombies. It'd be a very short film otherwise. <laughs> yeah. And uh, starts the car and starts driving down the road with Herzog still attached. And there's, again, the intestine obsession where uh, the zombie that was attacking from the opposite window kind of gets knocked off, but his intestine is like still stuck to the jagged glass and gets pulled out. And there's this scene where it's like, how far can his intestine stretch while he sits there on the pavement looking bewildered? And then it kind of cuts to, obviously, Herzog still trying to grab at uh, Martin's in the car. Yeah, I think that's number four. Number four, number four, number four. Yeah, so that's intestine play number four. Yeah, there's more. Yeah, it drives down the road with Herzog still attached to the car on a two-lane street and flips perspectives to a lorry that's coming from the other side with one of the least perceptive drivers in history. He's listening to music, not really paying attention to the road, which is obviously something you want to do when you're on country roads in the middle of nowhere in a giant lorry at night. Yeah, in like a 16-wheeler. You want to be paying attention. Lorry driver played by discount Tormund's Giants Bane, who's apparently Norwegian, the actor that happens. That's fair. Not the lorry driver, actually the actor who plays Tormund's Giants Bane, also oh. Norwegian. Oh, right, okay. Uh, <laughs> yeah, Herzog's smacked by the lorry, kicked off, and the his arm is uh, chopped off, his right arm falls onto Martin's lap. Herzog lies there on the ground defeated as the lorry driver gets out, goes to check on uh, Herzog's body, tries to give him CPR, nearly sick because... Yeah, it's a dead guy. If you do mouth-to-mouth with a corpse, not going to be pleasant. Uh, and as he's doing CPR, I think Herzog bites his tongue or something. I don't know if he was French kissing him. Uh, uh, maybe it was his lips. <laughs> maybe bite, biting his lips and then um, as he pulls away, he kind of obviously has his lips taken off and then the others that were chasing after the car catch up and kind of club him to death. With that, after this guy dies, Herzog finds the last golden coin which Martin's threw out his window uh, and is, I think uh, at the start I believe he's going to walk off at this point. I think he's going to not give up but he's... um, He's kind of content with having the last gold piece. Content with having the last gold piece and walking off into the sunset as it were. And then he notices the town on the back of the truck, which is uh, Talvik. Mm -hmm. Turns out to be a town that Hitler had ordered him to slaughter the last man for some slight happened. I think it was something about the Norwegian resistance. Yeah, Hitler ordered him to slaughter it back in World War II. And he decides that he wants to continue this venture of revenge. Goes to the town of Talvik. And slaughtered them to the last man, uh, bringing his merry band of misfits, merry band of Nazi misfits, along with him to kill them all. Martin, at this point, taking to the truck driver's influence, is driving down the road without paying much attention. I'll give him more leeway because he's, you know, he's got one arm. He's yeah. seen all his mates die. I'd be fucking hysterically laughing to myself. 
Yeah, bearing in mind he's, he's had about 26 hours of fighting zombies, major blood loss, loads of stuff like that. He starts to try and... Uh, he starts falling asleep at the wheel. And to try and can uh, change that, he turns on um, his radio and it's like a a nature podcast or a, a nature thing uh, talking about like, you know, like the old David, uh, David Attenborough kind of... And softly they were talking in the woods and basically doing that kind of asmr shit talking about birds and then obviously he falls to sleep during that and the car crashes cuts then to martin waking up in a hospital after crashing he's suspected of having killed his mates Mm -hmm. the clearly very incompetent police force in the area kind of a running joke that the police force are complete morons in this section of norway yeah i'd I'd think they obviously found every single body in the wilderness, they say it. You'd think someone would mention, oh, we found Nazi memorabilia and a machine gun and a blown-up grenade and a load of Nazi corpses. Maybe that has something to do with it. Plus, these doctors, I'm heavily using air quotes at this point, they reattach a very clearly old, decrepit corpse arm to... Um, Martin's cauterized stump. I I don't know if that's physically possible. And secondly, it's fucking clearly a grey, decrepit corpse arm. Which they write off as it just being a little pale. It's a good thing you were cold because it's kept your arm in perfect condition. Um, No, it's still fucking 80 years old. A bit weird about the presumably giant fingernails, the rottingness... And possibly the swastika that was on the shoulder. That was tattooed there. It's fine. The doctor at least gets his comeuppance almost immediately as the arm, uh, a la Evil Dead 2, has a mind of its own and grabs a scalpel after breaking itself from handcuffs, uh, cuts the doctor over kind of upper chest region, slicing him open, killing him pretty much instantly. Yeah, and then he grabs one of the policemen that come rush in to kind of hold him down, throws him heart, literally halfway across a room, at which point you're like, oh shit, this dude's like extra strong. Then everyone holds him down again, and a nurse comes in and kind of gives him some anaesthetic. Surprisingly, she could have put a pillow over his face. We learnt that in the first film. Go back to the medieval realm. Even she's not that savage. This will put him out. Fuck him, lads. So, yeah, in tradition of transitions from day to night time, uh, the director goes to a different scene to move it onwards. You go back to Herzog. Where I think at this point the doctor comes up and attaches... The the Nazi doctor comes up and attaches Martin's old arm to hit, uh, Herzog. Yeah, that's it. Herzog and his platoon walking towards the general direction of Talvig at this point and happen across a house in the middle of Norway wife and husband there oh, yeah. hey the husband says something about giving the wife giving uh, him head and yeah this film ain't ain't uh, afraid of giving puns out as her decapitated head rolls across the ground and then he tries to use the newspaper to shield himself <laughs> <laughs> or hide himself from what was about to come but yeah he kind of puts the, the newspaper above his face while Herzog caves his skull in with a like a, a full-on metal mallet. 
regardless, not particularly effective. No, I mean, as we all know, rock beats. Oh no, paper beats rock. Never mind, he may he might have been onto something. The amount of kids that die in this, I don't think children's games help you in the slightest. Yeah, I don't think so. Uh, and then, yeah, a Nazi doctor who really does all the part. There were a few of these placed in the platoon, medics. I don't think someone mm-hmm. that old. He looks like he, he was in his 60s before becoming a zombie. They wouldn't generally be going out with the uh, rest of the squadron, but eh, fair enough. I'll uh, let it slide for aesthetic. Yeah. I mean, for triage and stuff, I suppose it would make sense, but... Yeah, uh, Martin's arm, which they recovered really, yeah, from the snow, they place it against Herzog's stump, and it magically reattaches itself. Yeah, it kind of grows over onto his onto his stump and grows back to mines. Evil interlocks within it, and it becomes fucking horrible again. Goes all uh, rotten. Yeah, in this film. I don't know if you noticed it, or it might have been me just seeing things. This point, he is definitively, he is grey. He is a, very much a corpse, what a zombie would look like. But towards the end of the film, like the climactic scene he is pink he was just, he was notably pinker than what he started this film as following uh herzog's reattachment martin wakes up in the hospital after he was uh put to sleep sedated yeah sedated the police chief much to his much to play up his uselessness is asleep on the chair outside and can't hear Martin screaming about the zombies uh, trying to get his attention. Somehow a child has snuck in and has presumably been sent there by the zombie squad. He mentions something about knowing the zombie squad, even though nothing has been released about the case beyond Martin's and Nutter's murdered his friend. Oh, by the by the way, at this point, Martin is like leather strapped to the gurney he cannot move like legs chest head everything's strapped down Hannibal Lecter stole yeah the kid sneaks in and mentions that his mum's come in because she had like a migraine or something and he's like oh that's a cool looking arm it's looked like a zombified arm and he was like yeah I've been sending these pictures to these guys do you mind if I take another one and whatnot?" and then he's like uh, who? And he's like, oh, the zombie squad. Uh, they're these people that, uh, whatever. Also, it's just a coincidence that he just happened yeah, to it, walk it's into the, uh, the room kid. with the guy with police escorts. Yeah. The kid must have been like, oh, police are there. I'm going to go see what this murderer's done. That's it. You know what? When you put it like that, it sounds more reasonable. Yeah. That some stupid kid would go to the criminal's room. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Martin is trying to convince this kid. He's like, hey, can you let me go? And the kid's like, nah, I, I kind of can't do that. you kind of under police watch. And Martin, in his infinite genius to like a 12-year-old kid, he's like, I've got chocolate. And he's like, ooh, what? Triple chocolate fudge. Okay, let's get you out. Yeah, starts unstrapping this mass murderer, as far as he knows. Mass murderer with a zombie arm. Yeah. Genius move there. Straps him open. And the kid goes, where's my chocolate, you person who's been strapped down by police with clearly no possessions? Yeah, and Martin's like, yeah, I don't have chocolate, kid. And then the arm again reacts, grabs the kid by the chest and throws him out of a barred, heavily barred window. 
Martin goes to look outside to um, see uh, see if the kid's okay. I'd think not if he's almost been cheese grated through this barred window, but whatever. It's a um, fucking great scene. Yeah. It may, to be fair, just be in contrast to general UK cinema, American cinema, and the culture you have in games as well. I don't know if uh, European cinema is a bit more apt for kid killing which i'm fine with because at least in this one it it's the surprise of it that is really fucking funny it's, yeah they're so casual this kid is just thrown there's no build-up there's nothing it's just oh there he goes he's dead then yeah he's like okay i need to find a way out of this room kid through window what the what and then he kind of goes out to kind of like panicking kind of like oh no i killed a kid i'm gonna try and give him cpr I don't know what that's going to do with a broken skull, but whatever. And then, obviously, puts Herzog's arm or or hand on his chest, pushes down once and completely caves in his uh, chest and pulls out his heart, kind of panicking. Yeah, and then the police officer at this point has woken up, Mm. uh, opens the door, shitting himself, sees that somehow Martin destroyed a barred window. And escape down and looks down, sees Martin holding this child's heart, kind of like like in Indiana Jones and Temple of yeah. Doom, fucking holding the guts out, covered in blood. And Martin looks and says, it's not what it looks like. <laughs> so the policeman jumps out the window as well. Again, the arm acts on its own as Martin's trying to run away. It pulls off a Mercedes emblem, throws it at the policeman like a ninja star and like hits him straight in the skull and kills him so not only has this arm racked up uh what two kills at no three kills at this point but he's did them in like ninja ways and then i don't know i don't know how but they get into the murk and he's like okay where's the keys and the arm tries uh the arm hot wires the car i don't know if the arm of a Nazi knows how to hotwire a car. Especially when they would like... Cars aren't really... Well, they're obviously made, but they aren't electrically sound as nowadays car. Yeah. Cars, certainly in the 70s, the 80s, there was a lot of shit that you could hotwire, or often you could just... There was one car where you could take out the... Um, emergency button you know that shoves on both indicators at once mm-hmm. take that out put it in upside down and that would start the car they weren't well built back then nowadays you're not hot wiring a car yeah you're not managing it so i kind of hand wave that as i mean the hand can resurrect people later on yeah fucking start a car <laughs> yeah it's fine uh yeah he starts a car and he starts driving off uh we cut back and forth between him and Herzog through a lot of this in their journeys. On Herzog, uh, obviously trying to rampage across Norway, trying to get towards Talvik, and he realises quite steadily that he doesn't have enough troops, really, to deal with the town of, I think it was like uh, like 3,000 people again. Yeah, something like that, yeah. He tries to resurrect a load of buried World War II-era Germans, who were obviously, because they're not, in freezing cold mountain environment have rotted and are now just skeletons, bone and ash, more or less. Fertiliser for the ground. And his solution to this uh, is to make new zombies. The only way how is to get the living, kick the shit out of them and resurrect that. 
which is uh, a wonderful way of adding a little bit of variety to the cast of Nazi zombies. Yeah, like I think he basically kind of gives the a priest the shits. He kind of stands in the shadows for a bit and yeah, scares the priest. And then when he steps out, obviously the free, uh, he's missing half of his face. So the priest freaks out and opens the church again, runs back in. And Herzog kills him with a like golden goblet. Uh, he kills the priest, resurrects the priest. And the priest does a little Sieg Heil, uh, which Herzog uh, can now reply with. Now he's got his arm. Yeah. He tried earlier with a little stump. Yeah. Going <laughs> There's really great little sight gags through this, which were missing in the first film, really. A lot of the humour here is visual, which is just lovely. The writing has really improved. Yeah. At least on the comedic side of things, it's it's gotten a lot better. Not so the first one was bad, it's just this is really A-game stuff. Martin's driving off in the car panicking a little. His phone goes off, or the child's phone goes off, and it's the zombie squad calling over now yeah get into your head if you've not said this what do you think a zombie squad from america would look like martin his expectation badasses kind of resident evil style chris redfield jill valentine those with big guns ready to come in kick some ass my expectation was you know pretty much weedy fucker like me who watched one too many zombie films you kind of know what's happening because obviously it's it's a zombie film and it's like a comedy. But if it was a real-life situation, you think, okay, some Americans that know what they're doing, they professional, they're coming to help me. You expect them to be like these big, beefy, or at least like military-trained people with assault rifles, whatever, that can come in, get shit done. The person that definitely, picks up the phone. Definitely Martin would. At the very least, he's the kind of person that yeah. doesn't know anything about being bitten by zombies. Yeah. <laughs> Imagine if he's kind of kept away from that side of things. And he's seen them, to be fair. I'm sure he thinks there are actual zombies elsewhere in the world. And he'd think, oh shit, this must be a real thing. And yeah. not more or less idiot cosplayers. Uh, okay, it's basically me in a zombie film. Useless, <laughs> beyond useless. And yeah, this they continue on the charade for a bit. I think with the audience in the know of what's actually coming up, as you don't see uh, Daniel's full face and full stature during the phone conversation, he sounds like he knows what he's talking about, he knows what he's doing. He tells Martin to go you know, look up Herzog, find as much about him as he can, uh, while they begin to fly over from America. And you see the three members of the zombie squad in all their glory. I think they were siblings. It's about rent to uh, mom and dad. Yeah, yeah. They they can't tell their um, their homeowners. Landlords slash landlords parents. That, yeah. Can't tell their landlords. And then they were like, you mean our family? Like, yeah. And then there's a little pep talk of like, I don't know, that's a bit far to fly. They're kind of playing it off like, okay, we, we joined this because we we thought it was a joke and kind of like whatever and he's kind of like no this this shit's serious we if if no one else is gonna help there's like a little bit of a pep talk about it uh and he kind of convinces them to fly over and kind of help martin watching these two films these three characters are gonna pretty much dictate 
whether you're going to prefer the first one or the second one. If you enjoy these characters because you spend a bit of time with them, if you can stand them, then you're going to have a lot more fun with this one than the first one. Yeah. Personally, I can't. Don't mind Daniel so much. Yeah. Because he's got a character. There's, yeah, Monica is one of the most annoying people in a zombie film I've ever seen who communicates purely in Star Wars quotes. Yeah. Which it seems like on a dartboard full of different quirks and decide, yeah, we'll just go with that one. And that's all she is. I suppose slightly better than Blake, who just has zero personality. I'm not saying they shouldn't have been in the film, but maybe some of the stuff Daniel did, they could give to them some of the lines, give them just more to do. Yeah. For the moment, she's the most annoying prick. I'm not much of a fan of Star Wars anyway, and it didn't bother me as much as it seems to bother you. I could have been doing Lord of the Rings quotes. They still annoyed me. Uh, But yeah, they start travelling from America towards Norway after throwing an axe uh, missing the target entirely Daniel in their room which is about what 10 feet long yeah the room they're in. if that and then there is uh, sister I presume Monica says oh it's further than it usually goes <laughs> it cuts to the place uh, after zombie squads very poor showing and <laughs> quite honestly the police force is a very poor showing. Um, Even worse, somehow. Yeah. So, they try to make it seem like the the police sergeant that's there is like this renegade badass, because he's kind of like going through stop sign, he's like hitting, I think he goes over a roundabout, like just drives over it instead of going around it. At first, I assumed it was the uh, guy from the hospital, like scared shitless, and driving towards the department. that would have made sense, but he gets out of the car and he's like, yeah, whatever. He parks badly and he kind of walks in there like he owns the place and kind of... Then there's this woman that this Amrita Akara, Akaria, her, uh, she comes up to him says that there's coffee made for him. Again, another dickhead who's like, this fucking coffee's cold, what the fuck? Um, yeah, it was made 20 minutes ago, you're late. And they start going over like what's been happening. There's like a swan, uh, not a swan. Like oh, uh, next door neighbor's dog shit on a garden, so shoot the dog. Stuff like that. Yeah, there's a uh, marijuana talk they have to do at school. There's domestic, just really simple stuff. And then at the end of that, she happens to mention, oh yeah, and there's the mass murderer that uh, yeah. the local police force wants some help with that the um, next district police force wants some help yeah. with you'd think that'd be yeah, top of the agenda he's escaped and he might be coming through this place and they're like whoa 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 wait you're on about martin and she's like yeah okay looks like uh something's going to be happening soon and then as she's about to walk away he's like i thought i thought we agreed on casual like a casual uh uniform so he watches as she unbuttons one of her top buttons and she looks very annoyed about that. I don't know, as a side character group, like between them and the zombie squad, I find these guys so much funnier. I've got so much more entertainment value out of the police force being idiots, backwater morons than I did the zombie squad. I enjoyed the police in this, but I was like, about maybe in the second scene, I was like... Really, do we need to see this? Like, 
they don't impact anything. <laughs> That's what I found really. so funny about it. They're that shit. They never do anything. They never get anything done. In fact, they get, they make it. Um, yeah, they they say constantly that the situation is getting worse and worse with them doing fuck all. Yeah, <laughs> trying to progress stuff, but it looks shitter and shitter for them, which is just brilliant. So after that, uh, same kind of transition idea. They just flip to another group of people, and the zombies will have landed at this point. Uh, yeah, which yeah, it, it's like not sixteen hour flight, but it's a ridiculously long flight, and you need something to cut back and forth between to allow that transition. The zombie squad yeah. land uh, in Norway, and yeah, Monica Blake show off their blinding competence again when they completely forget that oh yeah, we need weapons to fight zombies, as they. Uh, as Daniel herds them towards a department store, get ready yeah. to fight them off, kind of a B and Q style thing, and they have a little montage of buying yeah. various stuff. Uh, you've all you've seen it before. Uh, just a shitload, an inordinate amount of stuff. I think if you buy that much fertilizer, you actually set off some alarms. It wouldn't surprise me. Plus, like. There's a bit of a scene where one of them picks up large garden shears, another one picks up a pair of scissors, and then uh, Daniel picks up like like little forceps or something. They're like, little like pliers. Like, yeah, and he's like click click. Yeah, I'm good with these. I get you trying to make like never a come visual up a gag. gag. Yeah, because you don't see them. That is a problem. Because the visual gags, they need to make sense as well as be funny, uh, which they have. In this, in the hardware store, they have a really funny visual gag when the receipt, they buy all this shit, the receipt starts coming up and it takes a good, like, 30 seconds to finish. And yeah. everyone just sits there and watches. Yeah, they're just standing at the till, kind of looking bored while this, like, inordinately long um, receipt comes through. And then when it finally does, they grab it, cut like loads of jump cuts where they just like throw in everything into the back of the car and what up. Like later in the f- uh, later in the film, if I don't know, they used those like little pliers to kill one of the zombies, I'd be like, okay, there's the payoff done. I'd be okay with that, but they're they're literally just thrown to the side. There probably is a deleted scene where they're killing stuff with pliers, but to an extent that really kind of highlights what this film does great uh, and what it really excels at doing. Is in any form of comedy, stand-up, uh, in music and film uh, and games, anything. Apart from the really weird uh, Monty Python-style completely subverting expectations, in your standard comedy routines, you need a good story before you add in the comedic elements. Mm-hmm. You need a beginning, middle and end, and then you add the joke in. Then you subvert expectations during that. And that's what this film does great. It's able to implement the jokes within the story not have story let's stop for a minute and have a joke then we can go back to the story yeah it's really great at being able to use the joke to tell the story and to keep it moving on uh which the receipt does really nicely sort of stops but it's at least flowing to some extent and later the sidekick zombie keeps it flowing that's what you need in medium what the film does really great and so you, you do notice when jokes fall a little flat and the film just stops for them. Yeah. Uh, because they're the exception. Cuts to Martin arriving at the World War II mis- uh, exhibit. Yeah, kind of little, uh, quite a small museum. Yeah, kind of uh, 
and then realizes that he's in patient garbs, obviously. Looks into the back of the car and finds this neon green tracksuit. And he's like, yeah, it's fine. I'll head in with that. Kind of like something I'd imagine a character from This Is England or Train Spotting to wear. Yeah, very tackily shit. I think that was the intention, though, to be fair. (laughs) If I could imagine an insane psychopathic murderer and what they'd be wearing, it's like 50-50 between just fully nude and garish green tracksuit. And yet he sees a bit of newspaper to the side, which has him on the front page uh, saying that he murdered all of his friends. And then he reads through it a little bit and it shows all his friends that are all declared dead. He has a little bit of a mini crisis and then continues on walking towards the museum where the guy who played Roy in the last film, now playing Glenn, the museum worker, he's reading the newspaper as well. Martin comes up to the desk and you know starts asking, uh, oh, no, yeah, Martin comes up to the desk while Glenn's reading this newspaper. Martin gets a little bit impatient, the arm much more so. The arm just grabs the newspaper and just chucks it to the side. Yeah, he kind of slaps it out of his hands. And uh, Martin, kind of freaked out by this, kind of does this awkward smile, like, hi, sort of look. And uh, Glenn slash Roy kind of picks up the the paper and kind of holds it up next to uh, Martin's face, kind of looks for a second, drops the paper and kind of starts shouting for help. So Glenn starts screaming for help. Martin shuts that shit down as he should, and then that's saying, you know, it's this World War II museum. The guy looked really fucking terrified. That's nodding his head. And Martin pretty much grabs him by the neck, manhandles him. Glenn kind of like, okay, what are you looking for so I can get you out of here quickly? Kind of obviously mentions Herzog, points to a corner of the museum and heads that way and starts reading up on what hers obviously there's a picture of Herzog like shaking Hitler's hand and what Herzog's mission was he there's like a placard saying okay so he's on the way from Germany he was from he was from here and he was going to Telvik yeah going to Telvik to basically wipe out the entire populace because of some slight that it's been uh, again I think it was like German barbers it was like a yeah, it was like a, sorry, not Br- uh, German British bombers uh, were in the so were using British it as like a, as well, a, a f- takeoff point or something or a refueling station or something. Yeah, I think that was it. Yeah, the Germans were using it as a refueling station. Yeah, and, and I think the Norwegians pointed it out to the British, and the British bombed the shit out of it. Obviously, uh, Germany didn't like that, so they were like, "Fuck it, go slaughter them all," and that's basically what his mission was. During this. Herzog catches up and he appears uh, outside as a load of tourist coaches are starting to unleash a uh, good like 30 40 tourists into the area including one man in a wheelchair who is by far and away the most unfortunate yeah person I've ever seen <laughs> in a zombie film dear god <laughs> this poor shithead uh, Herzog and company go about slaughtering the people it's yeah, very fun scene. A uh, couple intestinal jokes again. Yeah, like one of them pulls out the uh, intestines of one, and they basically two zombies take basically either side of the intestine and walk in different directions, 
one puts it in a fuel tank of the bus that they all turned up in and one puts it into the like tank and obviously they do that thing of like we're gonna suck in until the, the fuel comes out and then put it into the uh, tank of the the tank of the tank siphoning yeah yeah tank of the tank works the siphoning from the tank of the tank yeah if you know anything about siphoning the bottom or the the output hose has to be lower down than the input hose probably isn't on a tank but i suppose he's sucking it in so enough of it should get through yeah yeah after that and the slaughter and the tank getting refueled which is armed for some reason the tank it's not been deactivated it's got shells in it uh herzog and crew begin to resurrect the dead on the ground Herzog kind of put his hand over them, a little kind of um, yeah, in a little motion over their head. Yeah. And then they start to rot ever so slightly. They become zombified. Uh, really nice looking. Yeah. Really interesting little chain in the makeup there to show a distinct uh, change in personality. And then they get up and obviously act a bit more zombified. I got the thing they were a bit less intelligent as well than the. Uh, actual nazi zombie yeah, soldiers it seemed that way for me at least like maybe maybe the nazi zombies obviously because they were the original they were like the higher intelligence ones and uh, on a counter i am going to keep track of we get the first death of uh the character credited as sidekick zombie death count one i don't think it's shown but presumably herzog yeah fucking ends the poor guy's life Herzog and crew then go into the... So Herzog and crew then walk towards the museum to collect a map and some equipment. Nice little thing. I don't know if it's just because they didn't want to ruin some of the martial arts and fighting with guns about, uh, but the guns are actually probably decommissioned and definitely won't have ammunition near them, so they are going to be useless, and they aren't picked apart by the undead. Yeah, and then Martin and Glenn, in something I wouldn't discount from being in Scooby-Doo, hide uh, by posing as German soldier models in the museum, uh, presumably to the most blind zombies ever. You don't know, they might have cataracts. They've been dead for 40-ish, 50-ish years. But yeah, they basically do the Scooby-Doo thing of dressing up as World War Two Nazi soldiers and kind of hiding as mannequins. Holding in their breath, staying as still as they can. Yeah. They manage to get through and Herzog and crew piss off, tank in hand, start traversing down the countryside. They leave behind like four or five zombies for some reason. Yeah, I the way I saw it was like, okay, we'll leave you guys here, but like we'll take the main force. Your guy's basically here just in case anyone shows up. Yeah, Martin starts to learn like a, his new power with his uh, Herzog arm. He can start to control like the strength that it has. And it is a proper like one punch man level. Yeah, I think at one death point machine. At one point, there's a zombie next to the coach that's like empty at this point, and he grabs its head and slams it against the coach, and its head just kind of evaporates into a red mist really nice how they go uh, and kill each one really unique each of the kills they change it up yeah every time one gets chucked on a car one gets his head evaporated uh, one he can be coming cars 
yeah. in his stomach, takes out his beating heart. Yeah, I think there's like a Superman punch as well. He takes one out with like a Superman punch and it kind of like snaps its neck or something. And with that, he kind of looks over the uh, death and devastation around. He laments the loss of life. So yeah, Martin laments over the bodies around, the amount of death and destruction. He goes up to uh, Psychic Zombie, soon to be Psychic Zombie, and sort of shuts his eyes in a respectful let the dead rest manner and this inadvertently resurrects him and the zombie lurches to his feet behind both Glenn and Martin with them not noticing uh, as the zombie just stifles about as they talk amongst themselves and then eventually the zombie makes a little sound uh, Martin turns around and punts the poor fuck on the head yeah. like a little whack-a-mole bashes him <laughs> and death count two that poor prick he drops to the ground yeah uh, Glenn at this point works out that Martin can resurrect the dead and Martin re-resurrects the poor fucker to test it out. Nick gets up and each time it dies it just looks more and more damaged. Yeah. Like uh, after this death it, he kind of resurrects it and it starts like throwing up this like black liquid and uh, uh, Martin kind of looks at the arm kind of like okay that, there's something to this and out of nowhere an axe comes between Glenn and Martin and hits sidekick zombie in the face, killing it again. Then there's a short conversation about like, okay, you're the zombie squad, so I thought you'd be a bit, you know, better. On the way over from the department store, they basically learnt that there was a group of Russian opposing soldiers that basically were like, slaved, enslaved, and then made to dig their own graves and basically just shot in the back and buried um, by Herzog and basically their plan is if Martin gets to this place can resurrect these Russian soldiers basically they'll have their own army to fight Herzog and his so the two ladies and Glenn are basically told you guys go that way try and slow down Herzog's army as much as you can and we'll go with our newfound sidekick zombie, we'll go and uh, resurrect these Russians and then we'll come back and meet you in Talvik and fight there. I do wonder if they come up with the name before the premise or the premise before the name. Because that is a fucking good name for a sequel, Red vs. Dead. What do you reckon if they, uh, if they didn't get to D first, fucking Ned Flanders would be running about zombified attacking them? <laughs> Probably, or just like this big muscly dude called Ned. God help us, they went for a Fred 4. <laughs> Fucking John Cena in on this. Oh, Jesus, yeah. Are you my dad? No. Uh, yeah, Herzog is rampaging across Norway during all this. Uh, yeah, he kills more kids. It's just... I shouldn't laugh, but you kind of have to, just as a response to how insane it is. The kids are run over by a tank. It's yeah. just, don't get me wrong, it's perfectly tasteful. It is just funny. Because it, it just happens. Yeah, no like, one bats an eye. To be fair, there is like a five second gap where the kids are like, that's a tank. They watch it drive towards them and they don't get out of the sand pit that they're playing in. Again, like Hannah, they deserve this. <laughs> yeah, they didn't even 
uh, get as far as the Prometheus School of Running, which is running in a straight line in front. No, nope. uh, just wait for it to crush them. Even the police work that out. Get out of the way of it. Yeah, there's like a you see like a family eating their dinner. That they, they hear the front door open. The dad gets goes to get up, and he's like fucking. They all get murdered. An old woman's thrown out of their uh, out of the living room window. There's a woman taking her old grandma away in like a wheelchair. Realizes that they're not getting away from the zombies, so she leaves the grandma there, and the grandma falls backwards in a chair and gets her head stumped. There's there's a lot of funny kills or fun kills that happen in th- this like five minute time yeah, frame, including two um, mothers and. Literal babies in prams getting blown to shit by a tank shell. I know you said there were pointless scenes, but by far and away my favourite line in both the films. Move to the police, who have turned up to the scene of the crime around the museum. And eventually see yeah. Yeah, the camera picked up by Martin's face. And so at this point, they've got to be thinking, fucking hell, this guy's not only killed his six, seven friends... The police officer, the child, is now slaughtered. A good, what, an extra six people? Seven people? The zombies just strewn about? and Yeah, yeah, something like that. There's blood everywhere. You can only imagine what the fuck happened. But yeah, you see the two main police officers, the one from Game of Thrones and the uh, renegade cop, as we'll call him. The sergeant, Yeah, I think. They stand together and then there's a couple standard uniform police officers and two guys in like white hazmat suits to hang around and yeah far and away my favorite joke the renegade sergeant says to the woman what do the uh professionals think about it then what do the two uh forensics think and she said oh no that's not forensic that's just tom and odo in hazmat suits we thought it looked more professional that whole plot is uh... worth it for that yeah, great. That there's there's bits in this where um, she says that the woman from Game of Thrones kind of says something offhand like, "Oh, if only the seagulls could talk," and then the renegade cop takes this as like, "That's a fucking great idea. Maybe someone should invent that. Maybe maybe we'll get someone to invent like a, a device that that we can talk to seagulls through." And this is one of three times that that joke is brought up. It's a running gag, this random eagle. Yeah, this random seagull talking device. Police getting ready to move on and deal with Martin. So yeah, we get to the major B plot of the movie, really. The only thing that Monica and uh, Blake do for the entire film. Oh yeah. Yeah, pretty much the only thing they do. And they fail to die later. Uh, Herzog and his squad of zombies uh, merrily marching along the highway uh, Talvig Blake, Monica and Glenn uh, come up with a plan I saw that. Blake and Monica come up with a plan and Glenn uh, hesitantly agrees yeah basically their plan is we need someone that knows the area knows the terrain kind of I kind of understand at this point I'm like okay yeah makes sense fine we need them to kind of go up there and kind of distract and kind of pull his people towards us. And they I, they literally see the tank driving towards them or whatnot, but they don't 
plan it in or they don't factor it into their attack. Or maybe, like you said, maybe they just assume that they're not got actual tank shells. Either way, what would you do? That's fair. That plan, you aren't going to do shit to a tank. Yeah, but they they do say in the in the thing, they're like, oh, they've got a tank. Aren't we worried about that? And they're like, no, don't worry. It'll drive towards us. So maybe they are thinking, okay, maybe they haven't got like actual shells or anything. So we'll be okay. They'll just drive towards us. But uh, basically... Roy, uh, well, Glenn, sorry, is not having any of this. He's like, nope, nope, not doing it. And they convince him by going, isn't there anyone that you love in this town? By the way, another kind of minor plot point with Glenn. He's very obviously gay, but he's like, nope, uh, yeah, I love this really hot woman with massive tits and blonde hair and all that. Um, Kind of convince him by going, well, wouldn't you want you wouldn't want her to die, would you? So let's 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 do it for her, sort of thing. And he's like, okay. And then he walks up, and I've written this line down as well because apparently I seem to like writing down his lines. Uh, he he kind of sh- he throws a rock, goes, "I didn't know there was an ugly face convention in town. Come on, chase me if you dare." I did love the rock. He throws it; it bounces off Herzog. And hits one of the uh, helmeted zombies in back and they just drop down. Yeah. <laughs> he was he was fleshing out the herd. And then basically uh, all of the zombies like go to try and run and Herzog's like, no, 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 no. And then waits for like a couple of seconds and then sends the untrained mindless zombies to chase after him. And basically that's when like they start lobbing fertilizer Pipe yeah, bombs. the zombies get stuck in the swamp. If I bet they kind of fall over, trip, and start to kind of like quicksand, start to sink down, get stuck in the mud, and then the fertilizer thrown over, blow up, and then it, it's like three or four of them are chucked. Yeah, yeah, like three or four like pipe bombs are thrown. Takes out, I think most, I think all of the ones that were chasing yeah, after him. Takes out all of them, which is fucking lucky because if any of them had got there, I'm pretty sure they'd be dead. Yeah, they have this kind of like half celebration where they're all hugging each other, and then they go, um, "The tank's moving," and then they kind of notice that obviously the tank's aiming at them and starts firing. I don't know why he, the dude's a trained tank. Um, I don't know the military term, but he 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 operates the cannon, and he misses the first shot. Yeah, it's not completely uh, out of the realms of possibility because a tank shell really isn't for hitting uh, a small number of targets. Yeah. It's there for destroying cover, there for taking out large group of people, or destroying a tank. It's hard to hit something that accurately. It's like far enough an artillery shell. You're going to get within so many feet. Yeah, uh, especially with the World War II tank. I, I imagine nowadays are a lot more accurate, but back then, yeah, you're not doing great. Yeah, I suppose. I suppose. You're great, I mean, worst yeah. comes to it, they could have probably driven after them. These tanks aren't slow. Not as slow as they made it them seem in uh, this film. Tanks can hit a good thirty mile an hour. Really get them going. But yeah, anyway, they start firing off shells, and eventually, after like the third or fourth shell, uh, the group of them decide best option at this point is to lie down on the ground, pretend we're dead and they'll hopefully move on yeah. which works they uh, 
they get the platoon to think they're dead, and that's the end of that. That's mm-hmm. pretty much all that Monica and Blake does. Glenn does more than they do. So, uh, moving on towards Psychic Zombie Death Count 4, uh, the zombie at this point is getting worse for wear. It froze up in the car, smells revolting, tries to eat the sick to placate its master. <laughs> Yeah, then sticks its head out the window and starts throwing up there instead. And this is when the plan's kind of described of we'll get these Russians, we'll resurrect them. Uh, the car gets stuck further down the road when it hits night time. And they decide to use Psychic Zombie as traction for the car. Uh, the yeah, they fucker. kind of put him under the back wheel and basically they rev the engine so that the, the wheel is basically... Uh, rotating on the, the psychic zombie's nutsack and eventually after like five six seconds they the kind of car kind of moves on and drives over him and runs over his face and it's kind of jump cut jump cut jump cut where it's like hand touched sidekick zombie sidekick zombie stands up then they're back in the car and he's sitting in the back kind of going, kind of like making that kind of weird wheeze noise he looks worse for wear. Yeah, he's got tyre tracks on his face. He looks like, yeah, someone went to a Millwall game and started shouting out homophobic slurs to them. <laughs> he doesn't look good. Yeah, no, he, like, the skin started to sag off his, like, the muscle on his face and stuff like that. He looks messed up. A big contrast to that, they get to the Russians. Martin, similar to what Herzog did in the grave, that kind of punches the floor little blue light comes out and the Russians come up. They look fucking badass. They yeah. look great. Especially look the big cool. guy. Big ginger beard. Mohawk. Yeah. Kind of missing half of his scalp. He looks like he's been through the ringer, but he is... He he looks the part, basically. And then uh, Martin and crew get there before Herzog does. Yeah, they get and to Telvik. They evacuate the town uh, off-screen. Before Herzog gets there, you you come transition towards Herzog, seeing him start to ride in. You see Martin, Daniel, and uh, Psychic Zombie, who's barely clinging onto life at this point, standing to face them. And this is where I thought Herzog looks visibly pinker than he did, like at the start of this film. I'd have to rewatch it and have a look, see if he did. I mean, I'm yeah. blind as well as deaf, so. <laughs> but yeah, basically. It's sidekick zombie Daniel and Martin basically just standing in front of a tank and like like forty fifty troops, and basically like yeah let's let's finish this uh, I'll kill you and all that kind of giving it the big one. Herzog obviously plays this off as like a joke and starts laughing and everyone else does and then um, Martin says he's brought friends and then the Russians come out from like behind. Uh, some of the houses and obviously big Russian leader kind of like kind of sidesteps slights the sidekick zombie that's standing slightly to uh, Martin's like right hand side and he just takes his place sort of thing pushes him to the side and he's like okay we're ready let's go and then they start running at each other and that's when the kind of big end fight yeah uh, I've Go through some of the highlights because I think there's only so many ways I can say 
two things hit each other and it looks really good. There's only so many like comic book pows and bashes I can do. The zombies, yeah, I will say summarising a lot of the fighting between the uh, kind of minions. Most of the zombies were portrayed by martial artists and acrobats. Mm-hmm. And so it does look really good. It looks like actual fighting and the choreography unique uh, between each fight. People die in strange ways. A lot of intestinal-based things as well. There's an electrocution death with intestines. Yeah. One of the scenes I want to mention, there's a scene with a Nazi doctor healing zombies. I put healing in quote marks. Yeah, I've put uh, Nazi triage. Stuff like replacing lost feet with plungers, which just can't be good. Yeah, lost limbs with plungers. He starts putting hay in one of their stomachs when their like intestines have been pulled out and then puts like a clamp around it so it stays put. Stuff like that. I think it'd have enough intestines around to... <laughs> yeah. Fights all kicking off and you get to see the main characters doing their stuff as they beat the shit out of other zombies while Herzog sits in his tank and watches it. The big Russian guy, I think Severan? Severan? Possibly. Something like that, yeah. The big Russian guy uh, who leads them starts walking towards Herzog. mono e mono challenge. And Herzog, like the pussy he is, sends his elite little squad that he's got around the tank after him. Yeah. And this Russian guy beats the everlasting shit out of all of them. Really kick one. Yeah, he he kills like seven seven or eight like troops just walking towards Herzog and he's like, I'm a man on a warpath. I am gonna kill you, sort of thing. And kills his way to Herzog. Granted, the uh the minions did very kindly go one at a time. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> which is always helpful. Uh, it, yeah, it, it's pretty badass, kind of walking on a road of skulls towards Herzog. And eventually Herzog realises, yeah, I'm going to have to do this myself. Gets out. Uh, at which point the Russian guy, for quite some time, beats the everlasting shit out of Herzog instead. Yeah, the police that have been pretty much inept as fuck at, up till this point, they turn up. And as Herzog kind of gets out of the tank, he's like, yeah, go that way. Or do what you do. The police kind of park next to a barrier and the uh, second police car kind of parks too close to the first. So the people in the first car can't get out when as they see a tank driving towards them. And the police in the second car instantly like shit themselves, get out of the passenger side and run. So pretty much the instant that they get there, half of their squad is killed. And then... Yeah, just dead on the spot. Yeah, they run into a house. You don't see them pretty much... Well, you do, but it's like their critique on, like, oh, shit, there's a lot of, like, cosplayers in Russian outfits and Nazi outfits that are just killing each other. Let's wait in here, wait for them to kill each other, and then we'll go out and clean the mess, sort of thing. Me, personally... I'd be going, you know what, one side's probably going to win this. I think we leave. They've got a tank. Let's run. Yeah. And we'll wait for backup. That's the same thing, I think, as well. I wouldn't be like, okay, they have a tank. I'm getting the fuck out of here now, sort of thing. I wouldn't be like, oh, yeah, let's stick around, see which ones are left, and then we'll mop up. Yeah, bollocks, will you? You get the shit kicked out of you, most likely. (laughs) Get eviscerated. And then... Like as all that's happening, it basically cuts back to 
like Russian leader still throwing Herzog through fucking walls and shit. Um, kind of smashing his way through Herzog. I think he actually almost has like a killing blow on him at this point. Yeah, very nearly has a killing blow. Uh, about to pretty much decapitate the guy, at which point one of Herzog's minions stabs the guy in the back, mm-hmm. uh, puts him off, and this is the point where the Russians uh, begin losing to the Germans. The tides turn. Uh, the Russian uh, leader, very unfortunately, gets killed. Gets a pickaxe through the head as everyone else begins to die one by one. The uh, other... Oh, the others of the zombie squad have turned up as well at this point. Monica, Blake, and Glenn, with shovels and hatchet or something. Yeah, it's like a sh- while one shovel, one oh. like hammer, and the other one's got like a, a hatchet or something. While Daniel's managed to get into the tank, uh, and he's fighting off the crew in there. Uh, Martin, yeah, realizes that they're losing bit by bit, and then Blake uh, points out that. Herzog's probably empowering most of the zombies. If you cut off the head of the snake, the body dies. And so it's, again, mano y mano, Herzog versus Martin, uh, which, kind of like the Russian fight, begins with one side absolutely battering the other, and then it just switches. Uh, Martin basically, like, rugby tackles him into a building, and then... As soon as that happens, Herzog fucking annihilates Martin. He puts his face on like a, a an oven cooker, kind of throws him through walls, almost stabs him, but like Martin's pulling out trays to just barely avoid being stabbed. Throws him through the roof and he falls down the stairs. Like Martin goes through the ringer in this. Yeah, it's not a pretty sight. Uh, meanwhile, he sidekick zombie kills a priest kills the priest from earlier in the film that daniel's trying to make his way to the oh. tank and he kind of uh, he tackles the priest and starts caving his like starts punching him in the face and he's like good boy yeah. and he has like a little smiley face and then well best smile he can make at that point in time yeah he's missing half of his teeth but and once he's finally killed the priest, uh, out of nowhere, Tank runs both of yeah. them over. Rather than the car, a tank <laughs> uses him as traction this time. Uh, death number yeah. five there. Uh, so as Martin's one-on-one-ing Herzog, they eventually end up on top of the tank. The tank drives through the building and basically the, they basically get separated by the tank turret. Of course, right. Yeah, they end up on top of the tank. Uh, meanwhile, Daniel inside... Yeah, he's fighting. He's he instantly shoots two of them in the head, and then the, there's one with an eye patch, which he basically has like a full-on fight with. Yeah, he gets stabbed in the stomach with a screwdriver. It goes a lot back and forth. It's quite nice having a little kind of contained fight, constrained by the yeah. locale of a tank. Very uh, claustrophobic, uh, and the death quite creative as well where he grabs a shotgun shell off the ground, uh, shoves it in the zombie's mouth, and smacks it down with a hammer. Yeah. Zombie, very dead. Uh, David then magically learns how to drive a tank and move a turret, which I'll pretend not to be annoyed about. Yeah. Daniel kind of pulls a brake, and uh, Martin goes flying off, uh, literally lands on 
the windshield of a car that they were just about to run over um, and kind of baits Herzog into kind of following him to kind of finish him off. Yeah. Meanwhile, Glenn's killed. Yeah. Anecdote, Glenn is murdered, stabbed through the throat, and Monica and Blake should definitely be dead, uh, surrounded. Yeah, they are literally surrounded, and literally they've got like a cricket bat and a shovel at this point to defend themselves against like a horde of surrounding Nazi zombies that have knives. Yeah, yeah, it cuts away from them, clearly, because in any realistic situation... Unless the zombies stood there saying mean words, these people are dead. Yeah. But it cuts to Martin and Herzog and pretends they don't exist. Bonnet of the car, Martin's fell off and the tank breaks. Martin starts taunting Herzog, uh, saying that he lost World War Two and that he's going to lose today, while David moves the little uh, turret around, firing mechanism towards yeah. Herzog's head. And, uh, yeah, bada boom. Herzog's head goes for the uh, full nine yards, as it were. Yeah, his head is blown off, kind of. There's a little congratulations scene that's like, yeah, we did it. And, obviously, Star Wars girl makes a Star Wars reference. And they kind of say their goodbyes. And then I'll let you describe this last scene, because I really don't want to. So, uh, before we actually get to the last scene... Go to my favourite little B-plot. The police just look on, completely mortified that the situation's got worse and worse and worse and that Martin's left again. Yeah, they've got like a 150 corpses that are laid around on the ground and they're like, what the... How are we going to even write the report for this? Uh, Has anyone seen Martin? And the, the renegade cop tries to continue... You know, pretending to have authority over the one, uh, pretending to have authority over the two police that, officers that are left of the like eight that he started with. <laughs> one must have run away or something because I'm sure there were four in the house. Yeah, yeah, I think one must have just the ran. The smarter one of the lot. The smart yeah. one. Yeah. Uh, and then cut to a scene that almost defies explanation. Martin. Uh, you know, I'm just going to bullet point this, really, because I don't want to have to describe it. Martin resurrects Hannah yep. and fucks her, more or less. That wasn't even bullet points. That was just direct. That was... Yeah, with Titanic reference uh-huh. and Bonnie Tyler playing uh, while the psychic, psychic zombie, zombie watches on in uh, what I can only describe as jealousy. I wish I couldn't describe it as jealousy, but I can. It's... I'd have rather them ended with the police, but hey ho, they had to add in one more joke that. Uh, so I think uh, this was my second time watching it. Is this your second, third? Yeah, I think it's like I think it's third watching the second one. Yeah. Did they get better as you rewatch them? Stay the same. Um, I'd noticed a lot more. Obviously, again. The first time I watched them, I missed a lot of stuff. But now that I've watched them a few more times, I'm kind, of, I'm starting to kind of pick up, or I started to pick up like little bits that I missed on the first one. So, repeated viewing has made them make more sense for me. I think. What surprised me for something I kind of uh, dismissed originally is 
kind of harmless fun as an all right zombie comedy. They've just gotten better and better. Yeah. Because you just see these little details that have been added in here and there, and clearly a lot of care has been placed on this. I don't know, they're not Shaun of the Dead. That's that's not an insult at all. You're not going to be better than the pinnacle of zombie comedy, but I, I think I prefer them to Zombieland. Yeah, I, I really do. I prefer them to Zombieland. I, I prefer them both as a duo. I prefer them to the Zombieland duo. Um, oh, God, if yeah. It, if it was literally Dead Snow 1 compared to Dead Snow to, uh, uh, Zombieland 1, I'd be like, no, Zombieland 1 wins, but Putting them both together kind of beats out Zombieland 1 and 2 for me. I think with these two, obviously we both recommend them. We recommend both the films. Oh, highly, yes. And if you do watch them, do watch them as a duo because they work really well together as a kind of one-two punch. Uh, the first one leans more on the horror, second one leans more on the comedy, and they work fantastically. Watching Martin and Herzog's kind of transformation across both films. Martin's transition into uh, from arrogant douchebag to insane to badass action hero. It's, yeah. Uh, it's wonderful and um, just really funny. Yeah, a couple of things, nothing to do with the film. We have a Twitter and Instagram now. I think we've got a Facebook page as well. Yeah, got because I'm uh, locked in 2012 apparently. <laughs> Facebook page updated and we've got a Twitter and Instagram uh, which will be updated by Steph all under 7th Circle of Film yep. uh, nice news to find a couple thank yous to give out You know, thanks for listening got a big storm of people in for the last one which really grateful for and a big thank you to the person who decided to sit through four hours of our content and leave a hate message yeah, I, I personally love you for that. And thanks for listening to this pull of hours of Dead Snow. I know you're here. Yeah. Seething in rage. <laughs> it's one thing to get someone to enjoy your content. It's another thing to get someone to hate you so much they're willing to listen to you for four odd hours. Uh, thanks for listening. And have a wonderful lockdown.